Sometimes leaving a church means losing your entire community. And sometimes it means losing everything. In episode four of the Church Disrupted podcast, we talk about modern day lepers and how people are often treated like unclean untouchables by the people they love after leaving a church. You'll hear Jacob and Sarai's story of leaving everything behind when they left the church. It's powerful and it's very real. So certain parts of this conversation may be triggering or unsettling to some viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. On a more exciting note, we are proud to welcome our first sponsor. The Forgiveness Link is partnering with us to help our viewers and community members to walk in healing and leave religious trauma behind for good. Rob Scott and the Forgiveness Link team are like mental health wizards. And in as little as eight sessions, they can help you experience massive transformation and healing that will lead to you living in more freedom than you could ever imagine. How do I know? Because I've experienced it, guys. After one session with the Forgiveness Link, I have never, ever been the same. And I'm so thankful for Rob and his team that I asked them to share what they do with the Church Disrupted community. They agreed, and they are offering a special rate that is only for Church Disrupted listeners. They also offer a free consultation to our listeners. Um, so if you like what you hear in the consultation, you can sign up, and they'll give you a free session on us. So... If you're serious about investing in your healing and you're ready to leave religious trauma behind for good, then contact the Forgiveness Link today. Their contact info is on our website under the Partner tab, and the link is also in the description and the show notes. Working with Rob is well worth it, and I believe it's going to be one of the best decisions you will ever make. So contact the Forgiveness Link today and tell them that we sent you. Forgiveness Link Thank you for making today's episode possible. Now, guys, if you're ready, let's dive in to episode four of the Church Disrupted Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to Church Disrupted uh, with your host, Jeff Cochran. I'm excited for this episode. Uh, you're going to meet two of my dear friends who are going to be a part of the podcast hosting community, Jacob and Sarai Miller. Um, guys, welcome to the podcast. I can't wait to hear your story today. It's an honor to be here. Thanks. Well, I was hoping you'd give them more, Jacob. You have the best voice on the planet. <laughs> I ask you to introduce yourself here. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. That's my All husband. Right. Well, you're going to hear Jacob's voice. He has the velvety tones like no one else. Uh, man, I, I love to listen to your voice. So um, after you guys hear Jacob, you may say, Jeff, get off the podcast. We don't want to hear you anymore. And that's fine. But today we're actually going to be talking. We're going to be hearing from y'all's story. But the topic is modern day lepers. Mm. And we're going to be talking about what it feels like when you leave a church community, where, whether you meant to do that or whether you are forced out, what it feels like when it seems like your friends and your family and your support community disappears overnight. Mm. Um, that is a big deal. That's a scary deal. I know that a lot of our listeners have felt that. I have felt that. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to break that wide open, um, how that feels, but also how to walk out of that. 
that there are better days coming, and that even if it means you lose your support community, walking out of a toxic faith environment is still worth it in the end. Uh, But before we get there, if you haven't joined the Church Disrupted community yet, I want to personally invite you to be a part of our community. You can go to disrupted.church, find out more about it. There are multiple levels you can be a part of, from uh, being one of our disruptors and joining the community at the entry level, to being a catalyst, or to joining at the table flipper level. And we'll actually, for the table flippers, we meet right here. So if you're in Knoxville, we meet around this table once a month, helping you walk through the church hurt you've experienced, help you walk into healing for as long as you need. If you're not in Knoxville, we do it via Zoom. But those are 48 people that once a month, we just meet around these tables in groups of six or less. So again, if you want to be a part of the church disrupted community, we would love for you to be a part of that. You get to speak into some of the podcast episodes that we do. We'd love to get to know you. But also being a part of the community is the best way to support the work that we're doing. So um, a lot of money goes into this. A lot of time goes into this. Um, and when you're a part of the community, you help make sure that Church Disrupted keeps going out to people, that more people are hearing this, that more people are finding healing. So again, we'd love to have you be a part of the community. But if not, just keep rolling with the podcast. Keep checking the blogs on the website. We're just glad that you're here. But they know enough about me already. I want to know about you guys. They want to know about you because I know your story. Our listeners don't. And I think they're going to fall in love with you guys after today. Y'all have been through so much, but you've walked through it with incredible grace, incredible strength. Um, So why don't you introduce yourself, tell the podcast listeners a little bit just about you. And then, uh, yeah, let's launch into your story because it's a different one than what most of us have experienced. Yeah. Honestly, I think Jacob should go first. Um, he had a so it's funny because the way we were raised, um, we were raised in the same type of religion, but we were raised very differently. Same religion. Same religion. Same town. Same, same city. No, um, not same city. No. So I'm from Florida. Mm, okay. He's from Georgia, and we were raised like to the point where when we we're having a conversation, I'm like, "You got to do that. You had friends." What? You were allowed to have friends? What are you-, <laughs> you went outside and played with other children? You were okay with that? Oh, my gosh. So, you know, we were raised a little different. So I feel like he should go first. It's a little less jarring yeah. for so, everyone. <laughs> same religion, mm-hmm. but different cities, wildly different experiences. Wildly but at the different. core, you still went it through a lot the of the same, same things. So yeah. let's name this before we start. What religion are we talking about? We were raised as Job's Witnesses. Okay. Right. So Jehovah's Witnesses are going to um, consider themselves Christians, consider themselves yes. on brand right. Christians. Mm. A lot of evangelical Christians are going to say, I don't either don't know about Jehovah's Witnesses or Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult or you're going to hear mm. all kinds of different things. Right. No. Um, but for you guys, what was your experience, Jacob, growing up in Jehovah's Witness and what led you? So talk about your experience. But then when you guys are ready, let's talk about what led you to actually leave. OK, so. Uh, if we're starting from the beginning, which is where all stories should start. It's better than the end, in my opinion. It's very true. <laughs> Unless know. you're one of those like weird Quentin Tarantino people, and then you just start wherever you feel like starting. Yeah, well, if you're Quentin Tarantino, you can do whatever you want, because that guy's awesome. <laughs> very true. So uh, being a Jehovah's Witness is a very interesting experience. So I am fourth generation Jehovah's Witness. Wow. Yes. Um, and a lot of people will not fully understand that. So let me see if I can give you the Cliff Notes version. Well, there's a lot of people listening who aren't fourth generation 
Americans. Right. Bro. Like, that's a big deal. Fourth generation of anything. Mm-hmm. So being a Jehovah's Witness is interesting because Jehovah's Witnesses are relatively new religion and when i say new i mean only a little over a hundred years old wow so jehovah's witnesses started in the year well i guess you can say that it started early 1900s around 1914 is where they say they started but really they started earlier and they started as an offshoot of uh, seventh day of venice so if you're fourth generation your family's really been jehovah's witness since it started Yes and no. So what happens is, is that especially for people of ethnic uh, minority uh, racial identities, how that works for you is that somebody knocks on your door and then you are essentially taught about the sanitized version of the religion. And once you're taught about the sanitized version, then you come to understand and you get baptized in the religion. And then from there, you kind of spread to the rest of your family. That's how it's supposed to work. So you're not really even in the religion until you're so deep, you don't know you're deep. Correct. Right? So it it sounds kind of like when I used to have Mormons come to my door, they never wanted to talk about the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price. They just wanted to talk Bible. And it was a pretty good conversation. But I knew the books that they read out of. I knew where it was going. So when I started asking questions about that, they didn't want to have those conversations Mm -hmm. at the beginning. So it sounds a lot like that. Let's keep it clean. Mm -hmm. Let's keep it palatable. Mm -hmm. Let's get you in. And then when you're in deep, we're going to start throwing stuff that you would have never said yes to at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But now because you're in it, saying yes seems easy, seems normal, seems like what you should do. Yes. And so what Jehovah's Witnesses have learned from groups like the Mormons is that all questions are acceptable as long as you accept the approved answer. Mm. Mm. Say that again. So all questions are acceptable as long as you accept the approved answer. Which means in reality, like that sounds good, but in reality, that means no questions are allowed. Correct. Because very few of us are going to agree like to the detail on anything in life. So if all questions are okay, as long as you, you come to the same acceptable answer, then that means like we have to almost be brainwashed into we have to agree with whatever the people in power say or we're wrong, we're in sin. Right. Yeah, and there's they, a saying that says, you you know, um, I'd rather have questions you can't answer than answers I can't question. What? Mm-hmm. And say, say that again, because I think some listeners may have just got lost there, and that is... <laughs> That is both dangerous and, like, palpable. I mean, that's that's how you know when there's something wrong, is you'd rather have questions that someone cannot answer than answers that you cannot question. Oh, my gosh. And that's from kind of the beginning, what you guys grew up with, both of you. Wow. Born in. Yeah. So when you're – we're both born in. Mm-hmm. So there are – there are categories or unofficial categories of Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, either you are born in, like we are, meaning that your parents were Jehovah's Witnesses prior to your birth, and so you're born into the yeah. religion, or you're a convert. And if you're a convert, that means that somebody uh, was uh, proselytizing, knocked on your door, and you thought that their message was so moving that you decided to join. That kind of sounds like a gang, man. Like you made Crips a choice. and blood. You're either born <laughs> in or you're beat in. Well, it's very similar. (laughs) (laughs) With the beating part, too? I hope not. No. 
Okay. No. Maybe emotionally, but definitely not. You know, yes, very much verbally and emotionally, but that comes later. So uh, a day in the life of a Jehovah's Witness, depending on the day, uh, when we were coming up, this has changed, but when we were coming up, there were uh, three what we called meetings, which you would call services, yeah. a week. Uh, two of the services were held uh, at the Kingdom Hall, which you would call the church, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the services was held uh, in a home. Now, the one that was held in a home has uh, been gone for a little over a decade now, and there's okay. a reason for that, which uh, Sarai will get to uh, in so a moment. Was that like a modern-day small group or yes. very different? It was like Bible study. Okay. Um, it's It was literally called book study. Okay. And honestly, they were fun. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because it was a smaller setting, you had more people like that you could talk to. At the end, sometimes there was food, my favorite part. <laughs> At the end, there were food, not questions, though. Not, not questions. No, 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 food, food. They fed you <laughs> sometimes, not mm-hmm. always. But Well, there's a lot of people who got into uh, religion in general because a youth group fed them. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, nope. but uh, food is the best way to go if you're trying to really build anything, a church, a cult, a business, you know, whatever. Yeah. Good things and bad things, food always makes it better. So. I mean, honestly, if you're if you if someone brings you in and you start talking to you know this is your first time going to a meeting or, um, or um, you know you get to go to a book study, there's a love bomb to it. There's mm-hmm. there's something you've never felt before. Yeah. There's there's the oh my gosh how are you doing? It's so nice to meet you. You want to hang out? You yeah. want to you know and it, and it's you feel like family. You know, and a lot of people don't have that, you know, and, yeah. and that's that's one of the tactics that, you know, high control groups do yeah. to give you that sense of family, of community, something you just are missing. Yeah, the, the, like you're, you have a deeper connection there than mm-hmm. anywhere else, right. which is part of why it hurts so bad when you walk away or you get pushed out and that entire community or family is gone mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Because even if you have a bad family, for the most part, your family's not going to just jet on you. But in some of these religious settings, they'll do it in a heartbeat. In yeah, a hurry. Well, they're programmed that way. Yeah. So Jehovah's Witnesses, that's what kind of makes them a little different from other high control groups, uh, is that they are instituting various um, control and brainwashing tactics mm. in a very sanitized corporate structure. Okay. Now, remember when I told you that they don't call them services, they call them meetings. Yeah. Okay. That is a corporate term. Uh, the leadership of Jehovah's Witnesses is not a, like many high control groups, is not uh, a pyramid per se in that there's one person at the top. That's not yeah. how this works. How it works is, is that there is a governing body, which is what they are called, which is also a corporate term. Yeah. Everything about the religion comes from corporate America. The religion's founded by a man named Charles Taze Russell, who initially founded the religion as a corporation that sold religious books. Yeah, which the crazy thing about that is that's where evangelicalism is going in North America right now. Mm-hmm. For the past two to three decades, it's been more and more corporate, run it more like a business, especially your big mega churches, the ones that are you know quote unquote most successful. Um, they've got boards, they've got, you know, someone at the top or a group at the top. It's just a whole more corporate feel. 
And it sounds like, and I don't think that a lot of churches that are doing this are doing this because they're like, we want to create a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I want to control people. I want to create a cult. I don't know that anybody's ever done that. Maybe they have. Um, but I think it's a slow bleed where you get there. But to me, that's a big yellow flashing light as someone who's worked in the church of, hey, the more corporate we get, um, that's exactly how cults start. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how cults begin to get control in a way where it sounds good and it feels good. So if you go to a big church, you go to a, a, a mega church, I've been a part of those. I'm not telling you that your church is a cult, but I am saying that there are some cult-like tendencies that are jumping into evangelicalism. And if we don't call our own fouls, if we don't start saying, hey, that doesn't look like Jesus, that isn't okay to, you know, to do things that way, then we could very easily see mainstream Christianity looking, feeling, and thought about the same way that Jehovah's Witnesses are today. I mean, so, eventually it becomes about the money and not yeah. the Bible. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 hard to keep God and your financial interests in one pot. Yeah. Well, you Jesus know. said you can't serve both God and money. Um, but and a whole lot of pastors and church leaders are trying really hard to do because mm-hmm. it's about the money. It's about butts and seats. It's about how many baptisms we have, mm-hmm. which basically means this. It's about the money that we're bringing in and the livelihoods we've created out of this, and it's about what people think of us on the outside. Right, and you have to be able to control people so the butts will be in the seats because people are busy. Yeah, you know, So if you don't guilt them into that seat, then how are you going to get them there? Or say, hey, look at how many people we have attending. Look at how many people are being baptized. You want to be a part of this. Something special is going on here because the money-making machine is only going to continue if we've got you know, butts and seats. Now, money's important to every church, mm-hmm. um, but just to survive. There are a whole lot of good churches who are not all about money, but when it becomes more corporate, it's easier right. to become more about money. And when money takes the forefront or when money becomes one of the main things, it always ends badly. And I think that in of itself is what a lot of listeners, especially if you're involved in churches that are not necessarily saying that popularity equals corruption, because that is not always the case. However, yeah. things that you need to be looking out for, things that we would never have looked out for because of the control structure that's in place. Um, we didn't understand what we were looking at because we had no exposure to the corporate world until we became adults, especially myself. Mm. So, for instance, um, Jehovah's Witnesses give, a, give uh, local reports, mm-hmm. they give quarterly reports, and they give yearly reports, but they are called something different. So, uh, for instance, your yearly report isn't called a yearly profit and loss. Yeah, we're not going to call it a P&L statement. No. Everybody will say, that feels weird, the right. church. You call it the yearbook. Mm. And the yearbook has how many baptisms, how many different countries, how many books were published in how many different countries, how many Bible studies were conducted, how many hours in field service. Everything about the Jehovah's Witness religion from a top-down point of view is structured because you are essentially, and I know this is going to hit different for people, especially if you've ever known Jehovah's Witnesses. So I need you to understand me and understand that I mean no harm by saying this. Yeah. The reality of the situation is that you are a unpaid employee hmm. for a publishing company. Do you know what an unpaid employee hmm. was called for most of history? A slave. Yeah. Yeah, that but in church, 
we think it's glorious. Mm-hmm. And people, man, we I love the family atmosphere. I love it's the community. Honor. It's an honor to mm-hmm. serve. I want to serve God with my gifts. All those things are good. Mm-hmm. But before you know it, you're serving five, six days a week. You're losing your family. You're always connected. You're burnt out. And now you're resenting God. Not because God asked you to be there all the time, but at some point we wake up, we either wake up and realize we basically been like low key slaves to the church or we never realize it. And we burn out because you eventually begin to think I can't actually do enough for God. So surely I'm letting God down. And then you walk away from the church out of guilt. Right? So, I mean that, that whole unpaid employee thing, it kills me. Volunteer at your church, do something good, man, give back. But that should never be something that's like 10 plus hours a week when it's getting into those ranges or you feel like I have to give eight hours, six hours, almost a full work day a week. I have to do that or God's not happy with me. I have to do that or people are going to go to hell. When you I, say God's not happy, the, the reason that you're doing all that is because humans are praising you for it. Yeah. Because you're you're so spiritual. You're so you're you're doing so great. I mean, God, I wish I was I wish I was you. I wish I could do as much as you. Their praise yeah. is what's keeping you in place. It's like a drug. It is. And and that's how they keep you literally in place. It, it God doesn't as far as I understand it, God doesn't need you to do for him as much. It's you are enough. And yeah. They don't make you feel like you're enough. You're never going to be enough. And where we're not enough, God says, I fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. I sent my son to die so that you right. could be enough, so that you could be made right. Yet we've got this idea that God needs us, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And if God needs us to do his will, then he's not a very good God, right? And that's going to throw some people off. I love Jesus, I love God, but my God is sovereign enough that he does not need me to succeed. He chooses to partner with me because he loves me because I'm a son, but I can do jack squat and he still loves me because I'm a son because there's nothing that I could do to earn salvation means there's nothing I can do to lose it. But if you pair a little bit of a warped view, like you just warp that just a little bit and, and God needs me, God wants me to do all these things. Then one, if I'm not serving all the time, God's not happy. And two, Man, I think what you said, you hit the nail on the head. We don't realize we're addicted to people's praise. Mm-hmm. We're addicted Absolutely. to people's praise like meth. That's why it's hard crack. to leave. You, man, I, I got to get another hit of that. I served a couple of days ago, but nobody's told me how great I was in my family. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I went home and my wife and kids were not waiting on me to be like, oh man, we wish we could be more like you. You were just such a great servant of God. We love you. No, I went home. My wife's like, hey, could you do the dishes could you do your laundry? Could you take one of our kids somewhere else for the eighth time today? Right? So what do we do? We go back to the church because I want another hit of that praise. Mm-hmm. I want another hit of people telling me how good I am. Yeah. Right? So we just keep going back. We keep going back until eventually we would rather be where people are praising us at church because we're volunteering than with the family God's given us to minister to. And that's a dangerous place to be. And it's a ladder. It, it's 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 not something that stabilizes ever. It is mm. always something you're going upwards. So it, that's where the never enough. There's always another rung. There's always once you stabilize, it's like oh well, can you do this as well? And can you do this as well? And if and if you say no, I I I can't. Oh, the well. disappointment. You can feel it. Mm. 
And they don't tell you. It's, it's, a, it's a reaction. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'll find someone else. It's, it's, mm. And you, you feel the, the praise being pulled back. So you go, no, no, it's okay. I'll do it. And it's like you start getting the first symptoms of withdrawal. Mm-hmm. This is what it's like if they take the drug away. Let's, let's take it a step further. When these are people who represent God, which most of these conversations are coming from people higher than you in the church, whether they mean it or not. And pastors listening, you may not mean it, but the things you say often represent God to people. You are a man of God. You're a woman of God. And they're basically putting what you do and what you say, they're making it synonymous with what God would do or God would say. So as a a pastor, I have to say all the time, hey, I'm saying this. This is my opinion. This may not be godly at all. Check me on this. Check this in scripture, right? But most of us don't do that. So when you have someone who's above you, uh, you know, on the ladder, and they're asking you to do this, you say, no, I can't. You put up a boundary. You say, no, I can't serve another day. No, I can't do that thing. Not only do you feel their disappointment, you feel like if they're disappointed in you and they represent God, then God's disappointed in me Mm -hmm. if I don't serve. God's disappointed in me if I don't say yes. And then, you know, it doesn't, well, I mean, we never had the one singular pastor, but if you, if, if it's a, it's a congregation or, um, a fellowship, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't stay with that one person. It spreads like, Mm -hmm. like a disease. (laughs) That you couldn't do something for God, that you couldn't do this, that you weren't willing. Because it wouldn't, it wasn't never, you couldn't, you're not willing to. Yeah. Because if, if you had enough faith. Yeah, you're selfish or. You would do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you had enough faith in God, you'd do this. So when you say it spreads, are you talking about spreading to other parts of your life or spreading to other people like gossip? Other people. And Mm -hmm. then you become some sort of pariah when you were what, two days ago, mm-hmm. doing everything in your power, and they were praising you. Now that praise is mm-hmm. is becoming a unit of disappointment. You go from hero to zero overnight. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. And if you leave, you go from hero to villain overnight. And that's not just Jehovah's Witness. That's, that's really any time that we leave an unhealthy or toxic religious environment, an unhealthy or toxic religious church. I went from being the last church that I served at, um, my boss would tell people all the time. It made me uncomfortable. Like he would say this so often, but we would meet people. And as he's introducing me, he's like, oh, this is Jeff. He works with me. This guy's a genius. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And it, got, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird because I'm sitting there going, I'm not a genius. Like I barely passed high school algebra. Okay. <laughs> like I'm gifted at some things. I'm smart at some things. But I remember pulling him aside and I'd say, dude, quit, quit telling people I'm a genius. Like I'm smart. But I'm not a genius. You're setting me up for failure. Now these he people said, are like, what's this genius thing that Jeff's about to say? And it's like, he I don't He set have the it. expectation, and now people are looking yeah. at you, expecting more from you. Than Almost like an imposter syndrome. Yeah. But I, and I'm talking like as soon as we met people, like other, other pastors, um, big-time authors, people who you wanted to think well of you, or volunteers who were well-to-do in the church, he would introduce me that way. This is Jeff. This is my right-hand man. He's an absolute genius. This guy is doing awesome things. Like, and he would just start laying it on so thick, laying it on so thick. It's hard to live and, up to that. And it is hard to live up to it. And I enjoyed it. But even though I enjoyed it and I got that hit of praise, to me it always felt like, hey, man, I would rather you just tell him, hey, this is Jeff. He's a good friend of mine mm-hmm. that I get to work with. Right? It made me a little uneasy. But here's where it gets crazy. I got 
transferred, which is a fancy way. We'll talk about this on another podcast, um, but I got transferred, which is a fancy way of saying I got fired, but they didn't want anybody to know Mm -hmm. because a bunch of people would have left if they'd found out. So I get transferred and I get exiled to the corner of like the smallest campus in this church, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I literally was told so that no one can see you and you don't have influence, Mm -hmm. right? But all of a sudden, dang, though, dangerous to them. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden, I went from hero to literal zero overnight. Nobody talked about what I was doing anymore, and the guy who would tell everybody what mm-hmm. I was doing for the church and how big of a deal it was I was at the church and how thankful he was that God brought me there. All of a sudden, not only didn't talk about me at all, he barely talked to me, mm-hmm. right? And then when I finally left the church, because even though I was like, you know, public enemy number one, but you know, put me in the corner Stuck so people around. can't see me. Eventually they wanted me to like come back in and do some other things because they said, we know we can trust you now, which we know we can trust you now is uh, Spanish for you don't have thoughts of your own. Good so we like man. you, right? You're not going to push back at all. Say, so bring me back in the fold. And I said, no, actually, I think I'm going to leave. Um, I'm going to start my own business. God's calling me to something else. When I did that, Mm. almost everybody, not everyone, but almost everybody stopped talking to me Mm. immediately. And that person treated me basically like I didn't exist unless they saw me out in public. Mm. If they saw me out in public, they would run to hug me, man, to, to give me a handshake, to talk about how much they love me in front of other people because that mattered what people thought. But that's the cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm on staff at this church, and I went from having what I thought was one of my best friends and my boss (laughs) to I don't have any access to your life. And the only time that you talk to me or that I hear that you've been talking about me, it's something negative and you're tearing me down. How do you go from genius to idiot overnight? You leave a church. Mm. You leave a toxic church. Mm. So that kind of brings us to where we are or we're how we got to where we are as far as our story. So here we go. So again, being a Jehovah's witness is a lot about routine. So your routine is you have your meetings, you participate in uh, what we call field service, which is a fancy way of basically selling, selling the message. Mm -hmm. And the way that that works is again, very corporate, but you don't know it. So there are reports that you fill out. You fill out where you went, the group you went with, Mm -hmm. how many hours you spent. That's a timesheet. It is. It is a timesheet. Literally, that's what it's called. It's the timesheet. Who you spoke to. If you have, if that person had interest, how many people that you did have interest, will you be returning? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This sounds like what people are having to do for their job who are in sales every day, not and church. There it is. You'd have to map out the, the streets and you'd have a little map. And How old were you when you started doing this? 12. Three. Okay. I didn't get to do it. He was a boy. So boys and girls are very, very different. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Boy. So I didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> Sorry, dear. Wait, so because you have a uterus, you're you have, less than? Yes, absolutely. Like there you're are subhuman because you have a uterus? Yes. So when I first found out that there were churches that had females leading service and they were up there and they were talking to the congregation, I was like, that's allowed? Wait a minute. <laughs> She's not supposed to be up there. She does not have a penis. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, no, she can't be up there. She doesn't have a penis. Th- th- those pastors are going to hell. That's People right. That church she's, are going to hell, right? She is not, this is not yeah. right, sir. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you're about 12 before you do it because well, you're I got female. baptized at 12. Mm-mm. No? 11. Was it 11? Because we're a year and a half apart. I was we, little. And we got baptized in the same year. Right. Mm. And if you want to go anywhere, if you want to be acknowledged as a, um, especially if you're born in. Because when you're born in, they expect you to understand everything by now. You know where you're at. I can't get over how much that feels like a gang. Like that terminology so much so feels like a gang in California. Yeah. I could see the similarities. So basically, you're taken out in field service when you're small. Baby. Um, you have no idea I, that mm-hmm. that's what corporate world looks like. Like any adult listening to this is going, that's... Yeah. Well, that's straight it, up corporate. And if you're thinking about it as a as a little person, you're going out there to knock on adult people's doors. I when I was little, I literally knocked on a door um, with a lady from my congregation. The man came out butt naked. Did they not teach y'all stranger danger, like at all? So we're gonna get to that. Well, we had a person with us, and according to them, that's fine because as long as you have someone with you. Yeah. So yeah. here's the thing. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are not very good at recognizing potential problems when it comes to children. Potential predators. Yeah, there's that. There is that. (laughs) That's actually something that's going on in Pennsylvania currently at this very moment. Because we are not taught to see people in the congregation as predators. Mm -mm. And we are not taught to recognize what predatory behavior looks like, and there's a reason for that. Hmm. So when you're growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, so again, you have your routine. Saturday mornings, you know what you're doing. You're not watching cartoons with with your bowl of cereal and all that. Not doing that. What you're doing is you're knocking on people's doors, and you're telling them about your congregation. You're telling them about the religion, and you're trying to get them to come on Sundays or whatever day during the week is uh, your meeting day so that you can cultivate a Bible study. So I'm up on Saturday morning watching Power Rangers mm-hmm. and Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. and you're going door to door trying to lead people to Jesus and get them to join your church or Kingdom Hall, come and do your thing. Correct. And or that was your ways. childhood. Yeah. yeah. But see, I was smart. So <laughs> most Jehovah's Witness children, uh, they didn't get to see Power Rangers. They didn't get to watch Transformers. They didn't get to watch all the things. I'm most children. But I am, <laughs> you missed out on all of it. It doesn't surprise I, me that Jacob found a way to get around whatever rule it was. So we had that was the good. Girl. We had VCRs, and that VCR nobody knew how to program that VCR to get it to to record <laughs> at a certain time. I don't. I knew how to. Record. Is that why you're in IT today? That's right. All right. So for those of you that don't know, Jacob actually owns a company called RJ Technologies in Knoxville, Tennessee. If you're in or around the Knoxville area and you have any like, man, you have something that breaks, game console, uh, computer, or you're a business that's, you know, small business under 100, you need to talk to this guy because he's got <laughs> skills. I just had no clue that your skills came from programming the from VCR. <laughs> like, man, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm never going to know what happened on Ninja Turtles that's unless right. I get good with the tech skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it like that. I was just like, I need to figure out Gotta how see to what watch happens next shows. episode. Because when you went to school... Everybody's talking about the last episode, and you're yeah. looking like, well, I guess. 
Mm. I'm just not going to know. So that was a big deal. So you know about Ninja Turtles, but I know about God. Right. <laughs> never no, going to work out they expect that you. from you, by the way. That's how they expect you to answer as a kid? Absolutely. I don't know. Guys, I, I love Jesus, but when I was seven, I'm not sure I loved him more than Power Rangers. Well, that's the difference. So being a Jehovah's Witness and living in the wider world means basically alienating any type of social interaction that you would have outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, they very much encourage you to be very insular within your congregation and within your church, within your, within your sphere. But outside, we have, have a, name we have a term. <laughs> we have a term for everybody they that's outside. have a outside. name for people like you. You're worldly. Oh, okay. I was like, they give you a different name? Yes. Well, so anybody in the- not inside is worldly or like my family loved to say, walking skeletons. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, the whole worldly phrase, mm-hmm. that's a big part of evangelicalism today. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And yes, Jesus that- said that, but it's like, hey, you haven't been here enough. You haven't been volunteering a lot. Like, we're really worried that the world's getting a grip on you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's no, insane. it's not really the world. It's I, I watched the last Marvel movie. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> invented that. So awesome. That term. That, <laughs> so that, thanks. That so, term, I appreciate <laughs> you. If you go to uh, just any sort of like Christian church the next time that your pastor says something about, you know, you being worldly or someone being worldly, then just be like, hey, the Jehovah's Witnesses invented that. Yeah. You probably shouldn't use that. Probably not. So basically, that's an othering term that is used in the Jehovah's Witnesses to differentiate uh, behaviors and individuals. So let's talk about that. What's an othering term? Okay, so an othering term is basically to separate us versus them. If you're us, if you're with Mm. us, then you're doing well. You're with God. We're on the same gang situation here. You love Jesus. Yeah. We're both Crips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't there know the sign, so I'm all, not a Crip. It's all blue. N- nobody come after me. No. <laughs> I'm the <laughs> whitest, whitest white dude ever. Not in a gang. So, also, if you're them, then you're worldly. You are the child of Satan. You serve Satan. He just went straight from like being a good kid to spawn of Satan because you watch Ninja Turtles. Oh, it gets deeper Ninja than that. Ninja Turtles, we can watch Disney movies. So, again, what you have it's to got understand. magic in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're, they're big on that. So, what you have the to understand. The Bible has magic in it. <laughs> yes. Exodus has magic in it. Yes, but that's God magic. Yes. Not Disney magic. Well, some of the magic wasn't God magic. It was the people who didn't have God magic. It have was the Egyptian the magicians. Yes. Yeah. Mufasa came from the sky and talked to his son. Yes. That's, that's yeah, not we acceptable. The witch, we had the monkey witch doctor and yeah. all, all that fun stuff. Yeah, all that happened in that oh movie. Oh, my gosh. It's all about context. <laughs> so, <laughs> But, no, I mean, if you're really looking at it, what you're looking at, as far as my experience goes, mm. is that you are basically spending your daily life in order to be a good witness. But every word, every term that's a descriptor of you in the congregation is really describing your job. When you become a, when you're a witness, but you're unbaptized, however, you still represent the church, you are called a publisher. Mm. Because again, you are an employee of a book publishing company. Mm. You're called a publisher. When you're baptized, you are a baptized publisher which you makes you not a convert Mm-mm. not a christian a publisher yes mm-hmm. how many books have you published none, none. not one okay because i work with publishers every day but they actually publish books but i've sold so many 
That's a book salesman. Yeah. Well, also has nothing to do with following Jesus. And since they're free, it's really easy to sell. Yeah. So that's that's what you're doing. Now the difference is is that what you're doing defines who you are in the congregation. Mm, okay, let's stop right there. Mm. Let's pause. That's heavy, and you're just gonna gloss right over that. Mm-hmm. What you're doing defines who you are. Mm-hmm. You said in the congregation, but if that is your family, if that is your community, and spending time with any other people outside that community means that you're worldly or something's wrong with you then what you do becomes your identity. What you don't do becomes your identity. What mistakes you make becomes your identity. That's that's hyper dangerous, and I don't think that only exists in Jehovah's Witness, man. Mm-hmm. I, mean, like, I think we're seeing more and more of that every day. People are putting their identity in what they did for Jesus, what they did at this church. Mm-hmm. So when you leave, again, not only do you lose your community overnight a lot of times, you also lose your identity mm-hmm. and you have adults who are saying, I don't know who I am without this church. Absolutely. And man, that leads to depression. That leads to at times suicidal thoughts, sometimes mm-hmm. suicide itself mm-hmm. um, because your identity was so connected to who you were. Oh yeah. Right? And that was, that. but that was for you guys. It's not implicit. It's explicit. Mm-hmm. And that was explicit from the time you were like a young kid. Very much. Very much. I mean, if you How had that a mess friend. with your mind, so, the ways in which you derive joy from mundane activities is different. So, for instance, uh, when you were a kid and you wanted to play baseball or soccer or whatever sport you, you liked playing, mm-hmm. you, know, you would tell your parents and they would make sure to put you in that arena so that you could enjoy yourself first and foremost and compete secondary. That's Yeah. Right. When you well, were, some parents right. get that flipped, you know. Sure, you're winning a Super Bowl yeah. for the family. But ideally, <laughs> ideally, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're living vicariously through your kids, they're five. Let them enjoy it. Okay, right. they want to play with dirt. Let them play with dirt. If they suck, let them suck. All right, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not an indictment on you as a parent. Right. Eventually, but, they won't want to do it anyway if you keep pushing. So right. No. Well. But for you yeah. to get leisurely activities and actually enjoy them rather than feel an anxiety about them, you needed to basically make sure that the things that you were quote unquote supposed to do were done. Otherwise, I don't know the for guilt. everybody, but for me, the guilt and shame about not doing enough to earn these activities stays with you even as an adult as an adult it is very very difficult for me to separate the things that i want to do from the things that i feel i have to do Mm -hmm. is it hard for you to turn off like to leave work behind and just go to the lake or enjoy a movie with family Mm -hmm. very much so there's a sense of um i'm not worthy of having fun because I haven't met this goal or I haven't done this wow. for the family. or, And even if you push it aside and you're like, you know what? No, I'm going to have TLC. I don't care if my laundry isn't folded. You know, you can't. You, I mean, you, you can do it. But in the back of your mind, you're just that anxiety just keeps growing and growing yeah. to where you're just like, never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to go and do what I'm supposed to be doing because it's, it's ingrained in you. It's programmed in you. I'm it's a not, hard cycle to break. I'm not worthy. Not worthy. Of doing something fun. Right. I'm not worthy 
of personal care. Right. I'm not worthy of taking care of myself. That is so damaging, whatever age you are. That's incredibly damaging. But you go back to the Bible, and I mean, so many times the the issues caused in churches, the abuse and the toxicity in churches are when we get farthest away from what Jesus taught, who we're supposed to be building all of this around, man. You know, the Bible has this whole idea of a Sabbath. Every seventh year, you stopped working and all these farmers let the land rest. We were supposed to have fun. The Sabbath wasn't just to go to church all day. Like we're supposed to, we were created for fun. We were created to enjoy life. There's a whole bunch of people today though, who can't enjoy life because they feel some semblance of what you felt. Not that deep because it wasn't ingrained in them, but it's almost, I feel guilty. Like there's something wrong with me. Like I'm less than I have to work really hard. I have to hit certain goals so that I deserve to play around the golf. Mm-hmm. I have to do that. So I deserve to spend time with my family. So I deserve to be on the lake. Like, yeah. and can I just tell you, there's something so freeing about getting out of that. Like I'm being any Saturday in the fall, you're going to find me. I don't care what happened the last week. I'm not doing any work. I'm watching college football. I'm watching college football all day long in my easy chair like a sloth. And if you want me to go somewhere, you need to have football on and you need to have a lot of good food. Mm-hmm. If you do, I'll come hang out with you. Like I, I still do weddings from time to time for people because you know I saw my ordination and um, I've just told them if you have a wedding during the fall, like we're not that close and we don't have the same values. And I love you and I'll send you a gift. I'm not doing your wedding. I'm not coming to your wedding mm-hmm. right. because football's going on. Because like for me, that's that's, that's how I recharge, mm-hmm. right? Um, man, this is past Saturday, you know, we're in the summer right now. Nothing's going on. I was reading comic books cause I'm an adult mm-hmm. and that's what I do. Right. I can't imagine being in a place where you don't feel like you're worthy to do something fun. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect somebody or some, someone to just come out of nowhere and just be like, are you having fun? And you haven't done this, this and this. Did you do all your tasks first? Mm-hmm. So when you finally got back to the VCR mm-hmm. and you're watching Ninja Turtles, did you even get to enjoy it? Or did you feel guilty for doing it? Well, so I felt okay about it. Because he finished being, his tasks. Because I, I did what was expected of me. I did feel service. I, I studied my, my uh, publications for the, for the week. I made sure that the things were done mm-hmm. so that when I actually sat down to enjoy myself, I didn't feel quite so much anxiety over doing it. Mm-hmm. Plus, my mom wanted to watch it with me, so. Yeah, okay, that makes it better. Don't tell anybody. That's mm-hmm. one of those where it's like, son, don't tell anybody we're watching. Ninja well, it goes, it goes far, so that's a joke for you. But don't tell anybody is part of the culture of, deal. Uh, of Jehovah's Witnesses. So uh, my mother was not uh, born into being a witness. She actually mm-hmm. uh, converted uh, because her grandmother was a Jehovah's Witness uh, later on in life. Yeah. So she converted after her parents were not witnesses. Uh, they, in fact, they were the furthest thing you could get from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my mother understood what fun was. She understood a lot of things. And my dad did too, to a certain extent. My dad was born in. Yeah. So, so your mom converted and she's almost grieving fun to mm-hmm. a degree. This, this is where our differences start. There was some right. sass in that point, by the this way. This is where our differences start. <laughs> there was some serious <laughs> sass at that point because, dude, she, I'm telling you, Sarai's mm-hmm. holding the grudge because her childhood <laughs> was not as fun as yours, man. It's not. Uh, she missed yeah. it. So, I mean, like I say, don't tell anyone. So, when you're a Jehovah's Witness child, things that you are not allowed to do. So, let's go over this real quickly. So, everybody that knows Jehovah's Witnesses know we don't celebrate uh, 
holidays in any capacity. Anything. So any holiday. None. Just forget about that. Christmas, forget about it. Your birthday, forget anniversaries. about it. Anniversaries. We celebrated anniversaries. Yes. That is the only thing you get yeah. to celebrate. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's literally it. Uh, but everything else Congratulations. is you birthday. With is your a birthday abuser. an anniversary? Or? No. Nope. Pagan. It's kind of the anniversary of you being born. Nope. Uh, they rationalize everything as basically self-worship. And every reasoning behind not celebrating a holiday is usually really flimsy. Uh, so not celebrating your birthday. It's okay if you don't ask questions. Right. So not celebrating your birthday is the weakest one. It is literally the weakest excuse you can ever have. So we don't celebrate birthdays because in the Bible, the two birthdays that are mentioned explicitly end in somebody being killed. Oh, wow. Yes, but nobody else celebrated birthdays apparently in the Bible, just them. Right. Yeah. And they died. If you celebrate a birthday, you're getting Your assassinated. Head, head's cutting heads right cut off. off. Well, that would scare you out of a birthday party as like a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when you get older, you're like, mm, but, but. I think I could blow up my candles, take some gifts, and not die. have done that. And then there's like, well, you know, all praise is supposed to go to God. Mm-hmm. Not, not you. to you. But also the publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, those are the, that's where you stop at asking questions mm-hmm. because otherwise you get into big trouble. Well, so like you said, man, it, like don't tell anyone is ingrained in the culture. And again, this is on steroids. His culture. Yes. This is on steroids. There's the difference. He, no, he, he had a great childhood. He had a great life. His culture in, in his You're saying state. he had a great life compared to you, and I'm over here grieving your childhood, man. <laughs> this is why like, I wanted him to start. So you, what you have to understand is that when you are a Jehovah's Witness, you are told explicitly that being a Jehovah's Witness is a very unifying experience because you could be in Atlanta, Georgia. You could be in Moscow, Russia. It does not matter. Everything is the same. That is fundamentally untrue. Mm-hmm. So, for instance... Uh, Sarai just is, smack that mic. We're fine. So <laughs> Sarai is a, or was a part of the Spanish group of Jehovah's Witnesses. So mm-hmm. foreign speaking groups uh, are very prevalent uh, in almost all denominations because again, you want to reach uh, everybody yeah, that you can. Yeah, yeah. Do missions. You want to tell them about Jesus, right? That's what you want to do. You want to tell them about His Father. You want to tell them about the Holy Spirit. You want to tell them about everything that you know that has changed your life for the better. Yeah. And so you have foreign language groups. However, what they don't tell you is that because those cultures are different, there are there is a a overlap within culture and within the religious facet. And so, for instance, uh, more of the high control cult like behavior. Uh, was excluded from where I'm from. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. In Georgia, you can't spit without finding another faith group of any kind, especially Christian. That's that's what you're going to find. There are a million churches. So it wasn't as strict because right. people would notice. Right. So if you're trying to sell the soap, you can't be seen <laughs> as so different that you are odd, that you are strange. So so you look a little bit more like culture in those exactly. high culture areas because Atlanta is a big area. Not only is Atlanta a big area, but Atlanta is a multicultural area. So if you are, let's say, a black youth in a black neighborhood, things that you cannot do because you will be looked at as odd and nobody's going to respond to your message, you cannot be seen telling other children that they're going to die in Armageddon, for instance, not really going to work for you. 
So you have to what uh, what is said in the in the gospel is you have to season your words with salt, mm. and what that means for Jehovah's Witnesses is that you have to lie. Yeah, that ain't no Tony Satchery's man. That's just mm-hmm. flat out lying. Yes, and so you become very good at hiding those aspects, and that bleeds through into your behavior even within the congregation. Mm-hmm. So for my childhood, because my mother understood life outside she she enjoyed the benefits uh, or perceived benefits of being in that group however she recognized that there were things that children need yeah and so for instance you are not allowed to play organized sports hmm. at all point blank period in school dang no sir you are not allowed to do martial arts point blank period no sir so you broke all the rules because i know you do martial arts mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a young, <laughs> when I was I'm telling you, man, there's, 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 there's a little jealousy so much, here, so man. Much. I'm telling you, Sarai, we just need to make sure that you have like the best adult childhood ever. All right. Well, there's a saying, uh, the saying is that it's better to have, uh, loved and lost than to have never loved at all. <laughs> no, no, you'll never know hurt until you are a part of something for me when I was nine years old. My mom took me to martial arts because my mom did uh, karate when she was young. Her, her sisters, the, her entire family, all the siblings yeah, had a martial arts background. And so she took me to do martial arts. Shh, don't tell anybody. And I, you don't disobey mom. Mm-hmm. So never said a thing. That transcends cultures. But here's <laughs> where it gets fun. Somebody saw... I'm tell- it's like a gang. Somebody snitched on you, bro. Yeah. Somebody saw us leaving the martial arts studio. That's like when somebody sees you at the club, mm-hmm. and they're like, dude, you're worldly. Yeah. You're at the club. And it's like, how'd you see me inside the club? Yeah, were you, you were in the club? club? Yeah. Like, how'd you see me at karate? What were you doing? All right. Well, this- you remember most karate studios in a strip mall, they're going to go shopping. They're doing whatever. They see you. They don't say anything at the moment. Mm-mm. But then somebody taps you on the shoulder. Pulls you into a room and says, hey, so, you know, uh, heard. heard that you uh, and your son were at a martial arts studio. What's going on with that? Mm. And so my mother knew very quickly that that had to end. Mm. And so I was I was really good at what I was doing at the time. How long had you been in it? Oh, out? maybe about a couple months. So a significant amount of time to mm-hmm. a kid. Yeah. How old were you? Nine. Wow. Mm-hmm. And he loved it. He did love it. So it wasn't better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I almost man. wish that I never did it at that point. Hey, can I just like stop for just a second? And I know I'm not Jehovah's Witness. I'm not these people. But like for both of you, like I'm trying not to tear up right now. I am so sorry. <laughs> like that breaks my heart that you didn't get to experience a childhood. And I'm so sorry the way people mistreated you in the name of Jesus and in the name of religion, because that ain't the Jesus I know. Mm. Um, but I, I know I'm not the person who did it, but as someone who's, you know, got my ordinations right up there on the wall, as someone who still represents pastoral ministry in some way or another, I am, I am sorry. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like that so messes with you, sir. I, I have no clue. I can't, I can't fathom the depths of it. Jacob, dude, like I see you all the time. I have high respect for you. 
you know, high respect for you and everything that you do. But I just saw that, man. Like I saw that in your eyes. Mm. I lost the opportunity to be a boy and to just enjoy being a kid. So I, I'm sorry that people did that to you in the name of Jesus. And I hope for both y'all that your adulthood is filled with ridiculously fun moments. Mm. Well, if that uh, made you feel a, a kind of way. I'm not ready, guys. I'm not ready. I'm going to need tissues for this. So being a Jehovah's Witness, uh, you are expected to perform in school. And the reason that you're expected to perform in school is because you reflect, uh, you reflect the church. So yeah. always on your best school behavior. Work. School work is done on time. You are Most Jehovah's Witnesses are good students. You, are made, you made good grades. You did your thing. I was thing. terrible. <laughs> the worst. But the bad thing did about it. Did you feel like a bad Jehovah's Witness? I was terrible. <laughs> you were terrible. I was terrible. Oh, no. So you didn't even say, like, I did terrible. Like, that's how deep it got in. You're like, I was terrible. I was terrible, I was terrible at school, which meant I was terrible as a human. It was bad. I mean, he was genius levels. I was his complete opposite. I mean... But my mom pulled me out of school when I was in third grade, so there's that. She tried to teach me herself. Ooh, Homeschooling, that's higher control. Mm. Yeah, my, my mother doesn't speak English. That was fun. So those are issues. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah. Go ahead. That's, a, that's an issue. Continue. Okay, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm putting on my seatbelt. I'm getting ready because that was emotional. And you... So here we go. <clears throat> okay, so you are expected to do well in school. For no reason at all. <laughs> and the reason I say it's for no reason at all is because Jehovah's Witnesses are highly discouraged from pursuing higher education. Yep. Do great in school, but you can't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you'll have your teachers go, I'm recommending you for this and you don't have to pay a thing. You've got a full scholarship, full ride. Don't worry about it. I can't. I have to. I have to. I have to go pine here. I, I have to do things for God. I can't I can't focus on that. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So his story was very sad to me as well because of all his potential. So uh, if you're a child of the 90s, you will remember this. Uh, the Iowa standardized test. Mm-hmm. It's taken countrywide. You took it every year, I think up until you got into high school. And uh, my scores for that were, from what I was told, exceptional. And because of that, what they didn't tell you is that at that time, those standardized tests, because they were nationwide, are funneled uh, to various government institutions and organizations. It was basically a really interesting way of trying to recruit recruit young people into various uh, government organizations and or uh secondary schooling yeah so when i was you're at the top of that list Mm -hmm. so when i was 16 uh they had you take a mock-up of the armed forces uh standardized testing Mm -hmm. and based on that testing and my iowa score tests 
Uh, I was basically approached by various recruiters for armed services. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to All be of them. not to be an enlisted person, but to basically go through training, get a college education, and become an officer. Oops. Intelligence, basically, is yeah. where he would have ended up in. Yeah. So and ridiculously mm-hmm. smart, because they don't recruit just right. anybody. Right. They didn't recruit me. Mm-hmm. And that should tell you something. Right. It's okay. They so well, it's because the aptitude is for your ability to not only solve problems, but to follow what you are told. Mm-hmm. And that's how those tests are structured. Well, you were great mm-hmm. at that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So these recruiters who were frustrated by my answers in school, they were very frustrated by the fact that I told them, no, I can't do that because, uh, you know, my faith does not allow me to, you know, serve uh, any country's military in any capacity. Mm-hmm. So they took it upon themselves to come to our house. You wanted him bad. Yeah, that was definitely a mistake. Well, I mean, they went to like Mormon Jehovah's Witness level, like Mm -hmm. going door to door with you. So yeah, and this is right. This is right after nine eleven, so the recruitment effort was high. Mm. So they come to the house, they knock on the door, they get my dad. (sighs) My dad is about six two, a little over two hundred pounds. At the time, he was. All muscle. Mm-hmm. Big guy. Yeah. And so they, you know, Mr. Miller, uh, you know, your son has taken this test. We feel that he would be a great asset uh, to this program that we have going. And we'd really like to put him on this path so that, you know, he can be of service to his country. My dad. My dad sounds like Darth Vader. <laughs> I'm so serious. Absolutely. So that's where you got the voice. Yeah. Uh, it's deeper than his. Yep. It's. So my dad in his nicest ridiculous. voice says. His nicest Darth Vader voice. Says, well, Stop. I appreciate you uh, taking notice of my son. However, he will not be attending anything because we are Jehovah's Witnesses and we are no part of this world. Thank you for your time. Good day. That's a thanks, no thanks, mm-hmm. if I've ever heard one. Yep. And that happened four times. So the Navy came. Dude. Uh, Marines came. Air Army Force. came. Air Force came. They all wanted you that bad. Mm-hmm. And your dad just shows up the door immediately. Yep. So that avenue was closed off to me. Did you see that every time? Like, you knew those opportunities were mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Well, he wanted to join uh, the Air Force. It it was one of his dreams. In particular, just because of the opportunities given. I, I had a, uh, a family member that was in the Air Force, and they told me about, you know, just yeah. all of the different technology that was going on and how they were on the cutting edge yeah. of things and, and what I would get to see. And even though I knew that it was wrong for me, I knew that that was something that I really wanted to be a part of, but I also knew it wasn't going to happen. So there was no point in striving for that. And then it gets offered to you on a silver platter. and You can't say begged for. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, man. So how did that work with you having a family member who was obviously not Jehovah's witness in the air force talking to you about it? So family is tricky uh, when you're Jehovah's witness. Um, Mm. Mostly family's tricky for everybody. Sure. We crazy. So mostly, I wish that was it. Uh, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you don't really 
have very many interactions with your quote unquote worldly family. Hmm. It's just not done. But if you have a strong family connection, then you kind of just do it. So, for instance, uh, especially on my mother's side of the family, we were very close to them, regardless of the idea of some of them not being in the congregations and and some of them actually converting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really... um, it wasn't really something that we discussed in the way of saying, no, I'm not going to talk to you, which is how most families deal with it. Is the original ghosting. Mm-hmm. See, different. You weren't allowed to do that because we come from a black household. And when you're in a black household, you don't typically, uh, you don't typically turn your back on your blood relation. It just, mm-hmm. It's not something that you do because when all else fails, that's usually all you got. Yeah. So that's where black culture Mm -hmm. is rubbing up against um, Jehovah's Witness culture. They're Mm -hmm. not saying the same thing. So you guys were closer to your family, your worldly family. Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like you were, Sarai. Mm -hmm. So if it was worldly family, you just didn't, like you weren't allowed to talk to them at all? No. So, you know, my family comes from Cuba. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad's brother, my uncle, uh, off the boat. He just got here. Um, Nope, I take that back. He was coming through plane. So my dad, he had asked my father to go pick him up at the airport. Mm -hmm. Well, that also was not allowed, uh, according to my mother. So um, my uncle, being my uncle, said, I'm going to go see my brother regardless. Mm. Mm. Well, my uncle had been what we called disfellowshipped. He he tried it out, didn't like it, left. Um, so <laughs> he came to my house. Now me being little, I was excited. I you meet your uncle. wanted to meet my uncle so badly. I ran to the door and I got snatched out of the door. And she's like, absolutely not. He's not coming in here and you're not going out there. So I had to see my uncle after sneaking away, and I was, like, watching through the blinds and waiting for him to maybe notice that I was there so I could be, like... So I wasn't allowed to meet my other side of the family. I I didn't meet them until I was 28. I was already married. Wow. 28 before you met people like your uncle. I was married, had kids, before I actually even got to speak or see my uncle or my cousins, or... That's wild. All because they didn't share the same faith as you. Right. Actually, mm, nope, I lie. That's not true. When I was 15, my dad took me to Cuba, and I met my cousin. Um, But, I mean, on that, in Cuba, nobody really was witnesses. Hmm. Um, My mother's side, we went and visited them. I got a really bad vibe from them, so I was like, I will not be here, period. I don't want to be in this house. Yeah. Um, I only felt comfortable with my father's family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I spent most of my time. But that was the only time I actually got to be around anybody that was not yeah. bound by the witnesses. And that's when you're in Cuba where there are no Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, there so you are, were almost on There's vacation. a bunch of them. They have a whole Bethel there. Oh, they do. They do. I actually went. <laughs> we had to visit it. Um, but there there are witnesses there. That's That's actually how my family became Jehovah's Witnesses or my mother became Jehovah's Witnesses, and she converted her whole family. Mm. Um, and so 
yeah, believe it or not, that's where it started for her. But remember, witnesses thrive in struggle and strife. That's where they thrive because honestly, who is closer to God than somebody that can't eat? Who's closer to God than somebody that truly needs him? Who's close? Because rich people don't need him that much. They have what they need. When you're struggling and you're in your streets and you don't have food to feed your family, you don't have, you know, you don't know if you're going to make it the next day. I mean, remember, my mother, you know, was about 40 or something when she had me. So she lived through the Castro, uh, uh, the regime change. She lived through that. And that was horrible. And most of the time when you're going through something like that in the world, you're wondering, where is God? Why? Why is this happening to us? We we didn't do anything to deserve this. And so you're searching. You're looking for an answer, a way out, something that will comfort you in the times where you don't know if you're going to make it. Hmm. And that's when these people come to your door. And they take you and they tell you that they can make it better. They can give you a community. They can give you... They can give you everlasting life mm-hmm. in a world where you know you just might die. Wow. My mother was in prison. They put her in prison in Cuba. My father was in prison. They were there for a year. If you don't cling to something like faith, then what do you have? Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach you to have a persecution complex to uh, so that's that's why whenever there's a saying among people that have left that religion uh good things happen is the truth and when bad things happen is the truth so what that basically means when good is, and th- bad things happen at the same time there's your proof yep mm. and what that means is is that when for for her family when the Castro regime was basically saying that religion in general was not to be tolerated, mm-hmm. uh, that was proof that what you were doing was the right thing because you were suffering on behalf of, of Jehovah. Mm. That's what you were doing. So a mother so if it's of good, three, you're blessed. Mm-hmm. And if it's bad, you're being persecuted because you're doing the right thing. Hang in there, yeah. I mean, th- my mother was a mother of three at the time. She got baptized and married around 15 years old. Hmm. She got baptized, I think, 14. But she married at 15. Wow. Um, And she had her first son, my brother, at 18, you know. And every two years she had the other two, you know. So she was a mother of three in prison Mm -hmm. because she decided that she wasn't going to stop doing meetings in her home. They took my dad at work, even though he had nothing to do with them, because he was the head of the household. And he went to prison, too. So when you say y'all's backgrounds are different. Different. Like y'all both experienced the, the toxicity of a cult. You both experienced high control, manipulation, but very, very different, mm-hmm. you know, for the family growing up in Atlanta and the family growing up in Cuba. Mm-hmm. So you're, you see all these opportunities, Jacob, mm-hmm. coming in front of you in the military. Your dream is served up on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. They want you... You're forced to say no. What happens next? So then uh, you have various uh, guidance counselors. And again, everything at that time is about test scores. Uh, mm-hmm. School has changed quite a bit since yeah. you and I were in school. <laughs> Man, that, that feels like a old joke, and I, I don't really like it. 
Well, nobody's not a big fan. Nobody's going to mistake me for old, but that's fine. Well, no, that's because you got melanin, man, and your skin looks great. I'm over here wrinkling up like a prune with white in my beard. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a little uh, a little more salty. So the for, for the listeners, no, Jeff and I are that. exactly the same age. That does not help my case at all, man. You know, black don't crack, but white wrinkles a lot. Does it help that I'm older than you then? No, sh- shut up. Just talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't. I don't even like you guys anymore. Just kidding. so, gotta get something out of the deal. No, uh, right? so I need here's like the a issue: facial routine or something. So your guidance counselors, they come to you, and say, "Hey, you know, you got these scores. Let's get you. Let's get you in college prep. Let's get you taken care of. Let's let's put you where you're gonna go." And again, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. In Atlanta, we have quite a few collegiate opportunities. You got Georgia State, you got Georgia Tech, you have the various HBCUs, you got options. Yeah. Not me. You, you, you don't have options when you're me. You have responsibilities. Wow. And at this just time. Pause. Oh. That's, you just going so fast. Mm-hmm. Like, that's another one of those gut-wrenching things that you say, and mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, that's totally normal. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have opportunities when you're me. You have responsibilities. You're you're a high school student. Mm-hmm. You have dreams and aspirations like anybody else. They're served up to you on a silver platter. You have to say no. You live in a city where opportunities abound, and you could have had your choice of colleges, yet what ran through your mind was you don't have opportunities if you're me. I have responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't get to take opportunities. I have responsibilities. Like, dude, that's 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 tough. Like mm. How how do you get over that as an adult? Mm-hmm. It's okay to take an opportunity that, that that God wants me to have good things that I'm worthy of taking the opportunities in front of me. Oh, it's you kind of just go. You take more opportunities and more risks than you probably would, uh, because now that everything is open to you, it's it's a, it's an interesting idea. It's it's the idea of freeing a slave and not allowing and not telling them what to do next. You have two types of slaves that, you have the slave that goes back to doing what they know to do. Because that's all they know to do. And then you have the slave that says, oh, wait. I'm doing everything. I can do <laughs> everything. Right. That sounds a little close to home. Yeah, right. I'll do, I'll, I'll do it all. And so with that being said, you know, uh, I was already experienced in the idea of church hurt because my father... Again, fourth generation. My father uh, was a church elder. Hmm. But my father was something else before that. And he was a good person. Hmm. And that was what messed him up. That's That was his wow. mistake. So my father, when I was in high school, was no longer a church elder. And the reason for that is because something happened to a member of the congregation. And because this person was not in favor with the other elders, they were going to rule against her uh, in a negative fashion. Mm. And my uh, the thing about elders in the congregation is every decision has to be unanimous. Period. Mm. There is no dissenting opinion. None. So you get everybody on board, or you got to get rid of somebody. Mm-hmm. And my dad stuck his neck out, 
and it got cut off. Hmm. And that hurt him in a way that not many people can understand because yeah. that was his purpose in life was to shepherd God's congregation. He you took it very seriously. He was good at it. He was. Very. I mean, you don't take a man's purpose, period. I mean, especially when that is what he's decided to do for his entire life. What well, you do if you're trying to enslave a people. Mm-hmm. Well, you can end up having someone dead by doing that. But they don't care about that. The suicide rate among Jehovah's Witnesses is extremely high. I think wow. it's... I think it might be three times the national average. Do you think that's because for some people, and, and I'm not making light of this at all, but mm. do you think because for some people that's the only way they can see to get out? Of course. The only way to get out of mm-hmm. this religion, the only way to get out of this environment, the only way to be able to have any sort of freedom is to literally take my life? Well, because you're taught, and I don't think that they mean to do this, but that's the way it's taken. Mm. You are taught that a person that leaves the faith has no real chance of redemption. But a person that dies... He just might come back you, in God's favor. And so some people take that to the extreme. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, you are better off to die mm. than leave the religion. Correct. Would you like to know something my mother told me? Probably not. But <laughs> go ahead. When I decided to leave... She said, I think I would rather you be dead because then I would get to see you again. Because I know that if you're not, I will never see you again. And they truly believe that. It hurts them just as much as it hurts us. It's just that it's what you do. You have to. Because they're making you choose between God or your child. I can't imagine anything that my kid would do, either one of my kids, that would be so bad or so against what I believe that I would stop loving them. Mm. I can't imagine that, that I would not want to see them. Like, when you take it to that other degree, like, you take it to that hyper place of, I can't fathom that there's anything in this universe they could do where I would say I would rather you be dead. Mm. But because they believe you're going to be separated from God because of that. It's a better option. They can come see you, mm-hmm. but for them, that's not even an option. No. Um, when they mean that, they mean that, you know, whenever paradise happens and all of that, you know, and, and they believe in resurrection. So they believe that if I am dead, I will resurrect in paradise and then they'll have their daughter back. They'd rather me die than me leave. And they they mean that, truly. I don't and think I've ever heard somebody say it like that or believe it to that degree in which the church. Is what I mean by our differences. But to a degree, that is said mm-hmm. in the modern evangelical church. Yeah. So it's it's, it's whitewashed. Mm-hmm. It sounds better. Mm-hmm. Well, but, remember, we're Hispanic. It's everything's yeah. very literal. There's no, there's, <laughs> there's no sugarcoating no anything. So, but for a lot of even our listeners, they've left the church. Whether again, they did it on their own, or they've been kicked out, or mm-hmm. they've been kind of forced out, and all of a sudden, the people you love, the people you spent time with, the people you're best friends with, 
cut you off mm. to the point to where you almost feel like it would be better off if I was dead mm-hmm. than if I left. Because apparently, if I leave, we can't be friends. Mm-hmm. If I leave, then what you thought about me was not true. Mm-hmm. If I leave, then we can't have a relationship. And I can't imagine what you felt hearing that from your mom. It was not wonderful. <laughs> but but that kind of pain. And that's and probably why our suicide rates are so high. Because to be honest with you, if you, if you end it, then maybe God will understand that you you just couldn't do it anymore and there would be more of a mental health issue and then he'd bring you back anyway. It's a gamble, but it's a gamble a lot of people would rather take. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said that, that's just, you know, it's a way we talk. Oh, that's crazy. But then I hear it, it and I'm like, crazy. no, that's straight crazy. Like mm-hmm. quite medically insane, yes. Yeah. But so, death is something that we we're, we accept, I accepted, even as a small child. I mean, I was brought up to think that I was God's warrior. You fight for what, for what you believe, period. And that one day you will have to fight for what you believe. And you might die fighting for what you believe. So I never feared death. And I, this is something me and Jacob have a very big difference on because he loves, to, loves life. I mean, life mm-hmm. is, is, he will fight for his life. Yeah, he gets to do karate now. now. Right, well, no, <laughs> he does. But for him, life is very, very precious. When we got together, I told him that I didn't really care about living or dying, that it was not important to me, that life was not precious to me, especially mine. And that blew his mind because he was like, how could you not love to live? Mm -hmm. And it's because I don't really had anything to love in this world to live for. Wow. So you guys, I, I want to make sure there, gosh, there's so much to unpack there. I want to make sure I'm honoring you guys' uh, time. Like, what what time do you need to be gone? I have no idea. I don't think we it matters. Oh, I just have to be gone by uh, by five thirty, so we're good. Okay, good. Um, yeah. So help me understand from there. You both have these different mm-hmm. experiences. Both of them are heavy. There's a lot of loss in both of them. Um, let's. How did you? How did you leave? What caused you to leave? Because it had to be something big to make you actually leave. So that's kind of the important thing. Yeah, that, that's that's more of an important thing to, to talk about. So, again, going through life, basically having a, a, a family that was thought of up here, and then all of a sudden that going down because... You, you know, because in my family, we we try to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that was always a big thing. That was how we were taught. And so when doing the right thing destroys your position. Doing the right thing goes wrong. Right. My my goal in life was to be the be basically the best witness I could possibly be so that I could elevate my family back to where we were and, and beyond that yeah. point. Like you were trying to over... Mm-hmm come Mm -hmm. what your dad had faced Mm -hmm. and like that almost disgrace on the family. Right. So literally what he told me when we got married, I will bring honor back to my family. When the only dishonor that came to your family was your dad stuck up for what he believed was right. Mm -hmm. And so doing that, you, you throw yourself headfirst into the religion. You, 
you do what they say. You, you make sure that you're doing everything. Before that, I got in trouble for going to see a Marvel movie of all things. That's why I thought. Which was, one? I want to know which one was worth it. Uh, if it was like the Hulk, you made nope. a bad decision. No, okay. they did. So you could slide with like the more vanilla kind. So you could slide with your, your, your Captain Americas, your Thors. You could slide with that. But. Thor was a Norse god, man. Yeah. As long as you didn't talk it's about Atlanta. it, you'd be all right. Yeah. yeah. All right, so which one was it that got you in trouble? It's a blade. <laughs> he messed the up, The cheesiest to be Marvel fair. movie of all time. Yes, but it's vampires. Yeah. Black vampires, though. Yeah. Half vampires. Yeah. And Wesley Snipes was a big deal in my house, though. So. so, yeah. Blade got in trouble. So, after that, I... It was because it was rated R, not because... Yeah. It was like one of the very few ones that was rated R. So after, even though I was of age to see a rated R movie, that didn't matter. Uh, so after that, I decided no more fooling around. I was going to do everything in my power to basically be the best I could be. That's and where so, I met him. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I did everything. I, I, was, I was on the fast track to becoming an elder. I, they loved him so much. That when I came into the congregation because I was visiting, I pretty much got interviewed by every person there trying to figure out if I was worthy of him. Well, that can't help your self-esteem after everything you've grown up with. I now was you're dating Jacob and you got strangers interviewing you to see if you're worthy? But that's something you get used to, period. I mean, they're always checking your worth. It doesn't no, matter where you go. If nobody's checking... Is your worth always determined by other people? Mm-hmm. Yes, by what you do and how you... So I had to give a basic resume and credentials. I have to be... Yes, I'm worthy. I was a regular pioneer since I was 14 years old. I mean, I was up there. And that's how I was worthy to be accepted to date him. Now, mind you, it doesn't matter what they think as long as he doesn't care. But he, like he said, he was fast-tracking. So he you was bring honor back to the family and going to be right. An elder. So I had to, I represent him when I marry him. I am his mirror. If I look bad, he looks bad. Not you represent yourself and have your own identity. No, no. I am his mirror. So let's go back to earlier on. Basically because you don't have a penis, you're just a mirror of someone else's identity instead of having your own. Right. I follow. He leads period. Wow. Always. It will always be. I follow. He leads. So the interviews are happening. Yes. You uh, obviously get approved. I, I passed. Think. Yeah. I'm I'm charming like that. Well, the thing is is that uh, as a as a witness female, you're taught that if you're seeking a marriage mate and you're being courted by a young man, if if his congregation is not asking you a bunch of questions and vice versa by the way. So if her congregation and her family are not asking questions of me, that person isn't worthy. If they don't care enough to in, to grill you, mm-hmm. then you you're not doing anything in the congregation. If you're not doing anything in the congregation, you're worthless. Nobody talked to me. This relationship is over. <laughs> is that how you get broken up with as Jehovah's Witness? Pretty no. Much, I mean. So you can get broken up with in a bunch of different ways, but <laughs> it, uh, you, yeah, one of the, it's easier for girls. Cause as long as we're pretty and quiet, mm-hmm. you guys don't mind. Yeah, a girl will break up with you. Be like, you're just not spiritual enough for me. So this is over. Yeah. That happens. An ugly dude. Listen to, we'll mm-hmm. say that ugliest of of men will come up to the prettiest of girls and believe that they deserve her because of what they are doing in the congregation. That's real. So you'll see really off couples. 
So, dude, at this point, you are you 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 have both went through so much, but you are bought in, bought in. Absolutely, belief, one hundred percent. There is so nothing what, you could tell. What us. happens? How do you get to where you are today? Because you're obviously not mm-hmm. Jehovah's Witness today. So, you know, we're we're married. We're trying to do all of the right things, and then something comes up. And what comes up is basically, I knew that if I stayed in the congregation that I was in, there was no way on God's green earth unless I did something that was just inexcusable and publicly known because that's how you get in trouble. It's not necessarily that you did something. It's whether people know or not. Yeah. Because remember. Don't tell. Don't tell. So. Somebody had a vendetta against you, though. It's like karate all over yeah. again. Somebody's so snitching. just to give a quick anecdote, it, it, was, it was so bad that uh, – there was a brother in the congregation that really just he he was just not a fan. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a fan of of us dating, of us being engaged. He was not a fan. It was you. He didn't like you. Yeah. He didn't like you because he was getting privileges that him he was jealous. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, this is a wanted. this is a like I'm only nineteen. And yeah. this is a grown man in his forties. And it got so he bad. Started that, a rumor. Yeah, so he started a rumor that I'd gotten her pregnant, and, and that we, we were gonna married. we got married simply to uh, to cover up the pregnancy. We didn't get our first child until like almost well, two years in. Yeah, we mm. conceived seven months into our marriage, but yeah, trust me, if I was gonna get pregnant, I right. But the problem being is that he went to he. When you have a problem with someone in the congregation and you want something done about it, you go to the elders. Yeah. It, starts, the, it starts a judicial problem. Investigation. That's what they call it. A tribunal. Yes. Yes. There's three of them. Yeah, always. So here's the problem. What he didn't understand was that Two in was that congregation, they favored young people. And more importantly, they favored young people that were doing something because we had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So if you were a young person and you were actually doing something, then they wanted you to stick around as an example because the turnover rate is extremely high. Yeah, that's, that's another one of those corporate, mm-hmm. like we're talking about people, the turnover rate mm-hmm. is high. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this person went to my mentor and he's like, I believe that Jacob is engaged in, you know, in sexual misconduct of a sort and blah, 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 blah. And my mentor, he, he pulled me aside. Actually, I went to him before anything even Because came. of the rumor. Yeah, because of the rumor. So he yeah. was well aware. And my mentor says, oh, okay, well, I'll talk to him about it, and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Not what the gentleman was expecting to happen. Yeah. My mentor asked me, he's straight up like, hey, what, what's going on? I said, well, this is what this person thinks. Obviously, that's not the case. So, okay. And that person was blacklisted. Hmm. He had to move congregations multiple times in order for him to get any type of positioning. That was before we left. Yes. The, so Jacob had already been offered um, one of the ranks that he wanted. I did not know that. Because, again, as a supportive wife, what your job is is to support him. Regardless of how you feel, it doesn't matter how you're being treated, how you feel – your job is to support him. And he was he had been given that, and he noticed I was very depressed. Um, I was 
really out of sorts. I was not doing well. So he decided to switch our congregations. It wasn't until years later that I found out that that ruined his opportunity, which, oh, it set me into a, I was crying so much because to me, I failed my husband. So he switched congregations just because you're struggling, you're depressed, and that ruined his opportunity. Yes. Basically switching churches. Yes. From one to the next one over. Mm-hmm. Right. Different location. But if your only role is to support your husband, right. he then sh- how worthless do you feel when you find out I it cost was him an opportunity? I was, it was awful. It was very depressing. I was content not telling her. and you I never didn't. told me. My mother found out. And she told me. And she told me, like, you messed up his opportunity. And I was just like, I'm I'm so sorry. Like, I'm looking at him like, why didn't you tell me we wouldn't have left? I could have dealt with it. I was okay. And he was like, no, I mean, you come first. And that's something that I had never even thought was possible of a husband. Well, how could your husband put you first when your only identity is up to that Support point? Support system. Supporting and honoring your husband. You really broke the mold on that one, man. He did. He did. So... You know, um, things happen. We, we're still doing fine. You know, uh, our our next congregation. I know people there. They want us to 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 reach out for privileges and and all the things. But at that point, she was pregnant. Uh, we were we were about to have our first one, and uh, you know, it just it, I was really trying to do more as far as making sure that my son had the things he needed, his necessities. Mm-hmm. And based on that, I had to work a lot. And so when it came time, hey, Jacob, you know, we'd really appreciate if you give this presentation. We'd really appreciate if you did this. And for the first time in my life, the answer, which was usually a resounding yes, turned into I can't. Hmm. And that's where the, oh, okay. And so all of the praise that I had gotten and built up for years and years had gone away. And so... In an instant. Yeah. Just in a moment, a conversation, one no, Mm -hmm. and it all goes away. Yep. And so what ends up happening, and this is, for anybody in a high control group, the things that you don't do if you want to stay in. Mm -hmm. Number one, you don't say no to volunteering. Number two... You do not join a foreign language group if you do not speak the language. And number three, the worst thing you can do is you don't move to where people don't know you. Mm-hmm. We did number three. We did all of them. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, in different orders. But broke all the rules. <laughs> we, well, we those weren't rules. Those are rules for us because that's what got us to be like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I've been into my in a Spanish uh, congregation my whole life, whole mm-hmm. life. And then I get moved to Tennessee, and the Spanish congregation here isn't what I'm used to. No offense, but they didn't have our flair in Florida. They They could be Spanish and not be Cuban. Right. Well, even the people that weren't Cuban in Florida, there was a it was a passion, a flair. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was one of those talks that you just sat there and you were engaged and you were like, I'm all in for this. Mm -hmm. If I'm falling asleep on you, don't don't. I, it was very depressing. I didn't want to come here anyway. Um, so I decided I need to change, and I went to the English congregation. Ooh, it was so different. I mean, not just how people dealt with each other, 
but their talks I didn't understand a word they were saying like half of the things even the way they read the Bible was completely different like an insider language yeah, yes biblical language in English is is completely different, different. Mm-hmm. You, you, you your brain disassociates from what you're listening to because now you're trying to reprogram you have to learn a new language mm. and because I was so far in in the Spanish way that the way they did things was different, mm-hmm. the way their culture worked. I mean, the things that these elders would do, and you were just sitting there like, how are you still an elder? It was mind-boggling. The way they treated their kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would they would kick out little 15-year-olds. My best friend was 15. 15. Isolated her mm-hmm. from all everyone to the point where they would come to me and be like, you do realize that she's been disfellowshipped. You can't talk to her anymore. Right. And my, my, my response to that is like, I'm going to do what I am always yeah. done. She's 15. This 15 year old made a mistake. Now they're completely alone. And our problem with you is that you're talking to her. Yes. Right. That wow. you, you need to understand that she is not welcome mm. anymore in your life. You cannot speak to her anymore. This is her punishment. So now you are in a new place. People don't know you. You've already lost opportunities. You're seeing this. What was what was the final straw? So what ended up happening was I was I was struggling. I was really struggling. This is a different environment than I'm used to. The congregations in Tennessee are far different than how Atlanta is because again, Atlanta is you in the congregation you follow all the rules. Outside you conduct yourself as a normal individual because <laughs> again, you cannot be seen as different to the degree where you're strange. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Here, they don't care about that. It would be strange. Mm-hmm. And so, it, I, you know, I was to, I, we had two children at the time. Um, I'm struggling to get them to all congregation meetings. She has already told me in no uncertain terms that she is not interested in going regularly to to the, the congregation mm-hmm. meeting. She just is not. So... I'm going to pause you there. Um, One thing you need to understand, when I said that, I was fully prepared for him to be like, okay, well, I guess we're getting a divorce. Wow. Because he has the right, he has the right to do that. Hmm. Because I have decided that I am no longer going to follow the correct path. So for you, just not good, not even leaving Jehovah's Witness per se, but just by not going to church there, you oh, I, fully expected to lose your marriage and your family. Absolutely. I I was like, I'm, I think I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, you know, I, I had struggled with a lot as a child. Um, uh, when I was eight, I was hurt by an elder. Hmm. Um, and I wasn't one of those children that keeps quiet. I, I wasn't. I was taught when someone hurts you, you scream from the rooftops and you tell everybody. Yeah. And I and I told my sister, you know, and then there was people that talked to me, the elders. So, so what happens when um, a child is involved? Um, they're supposed to um, take you into this room. Um, they're supposed to be three men mm. and your accuser and the child. That is it. Okay, so That's you're supposed not intimidating to, at all. So you're supposed to tell these people exactly what happened, what you know, in de- I mean detail. Mm. 
because now it's you against that person. It's a he said, she said situation. It's a child against an adult. Well, they're twisting a scripture right. that basically is talking about bringing the problem to your brother. Yeah. Oh, well, when I brought a problem to the last church that we were at, mm-hmm. it's the only church I've ever brought a church discipline problem that went past the one-on-one phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are familiar. I'm not going to get into it for people that aren't. Those that know, you know. If you don't, you don't. Um, but that was used against me. We brought, I tried to go Mm one-on-one, tried to go one with a couple of different witnesses, finally take some stuff to the elders and said, Hey, we got evidence of things that this doesn't look like Jesus. People are being hurt. We don't want to go public with this. We just want you to acknowledge it. And Mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, you don't have enough witnesses unless you bring enough witnesses Mm -hmm. when I talk to you. Mm -hmm. And then when I did bring the witnesses, it was, Oh, well, we investigated and decided nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Didn't open the emails. I didn't watch the videos I sent, anything like that. But they would use scriptures about the witnesses to try to just keep you from being able to bring any sort of accusation because it makes them look bad. It hurts the bottom line. Right? Yes. So That's exactly what, what happened happens. to you, what if I told you that in the Jehovah's Witnesses, what happened to you is institutional for us? So the idea that you didn't have enough witnesses. So let's take that scenario. And, and the it, only reason mm-hmm. I didn't have enough witnesses is mm-hmm. because so many people were scared. Mm-hmm. To come through because of legal documents or because they were afraid it was going to cause them to go into a suicidal tailspin Mm -hmm. because they spent years working through this. It was only fear that people didn't come forward Mm -hmm. because the elders of Mm -hmm. the church I was at refused to protect Mm -hmm. the witnesses they asked for. Right. So let's take that and now instead of it being you, Mm -hmm. we're going to take that and we're going to apply it to a child. And we're going to apply that to a child who has been hurt by an adult. And we're going to tell this child that, well, we'd love to believe you. And we do believe you. But because you don't have two witnesses witnesses to what you allege happened, you need to now shut up about it and let it. So did they just cover up sexual abuse? Because there's never two witnesses to sexual abuse. And right? there you have it. When a kid says, I've been touched, mm-hmm. when a kid says that, you know, hey, someone was, was mistreating me or talking to me about mm-hmm. these things, man, we're supposed to take that seriously because that's mm-hmm. a predator's always going to do that where no one sees it. Right. They never do it with people around. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just gets covered up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They tell the child to pray about it, you know. Leave it in Jehovah's hands. Okay. I'm going to be honest. That pisses me off. Mm-hmm. It's okay. like, it pissed me I don't off understand too. how I don't understand how dads are not ripping people's heads off. I don't oh, understand how I don't understand how cold blooded murder is not happening. If you're mistreating my kid, mm-hmm. if somebody's sexually abusing my kid, mm-hmm. and they're not letting me be a part of this, they're not letting the authorities be a part of this. They're saying, "Hey, if you don't have two witnesses to this kid, mm-hmm. we're going to sweep it under the rug." Mm-hmm. Well, then, heck, man. If I was going to be an abuser, if I was going to be a pedophile, I would want a system like that because that system would protect you. Exactly. And so, so that that's where we end up where we are. Exactly. Um, so go for it. So, I mean, I've left a lot of things out. So for those, if if you know about witnesses, I did leave a lot of it out. This isn't the last time you're going to be on the podcast. You're going to be on here regularly. But um, so I had my own kids. I, I had two beautiful little boys. And to be completely honest with you, when I looked at them, I didn't want them to go through that because I knew there was nothing. Eventually, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything to protect them. I'm putting them in a situation that they could possibly get hurt. Simply by being a Just witness, being there. you, especially as a woman, would be able to protect them in no way. 
I mean, I could go to the police, but that would end up harming me anyway. So I might as well just not. And this is what I told my husband. I said, I think I'm done. I'm not going back there. I can't do it. I can't feel this way anymore. So he decided, because as a good witness, you don't give up. And again, his choices were to try to convince me or to leave me or to ignore me and just be like this. Just She's just crazy, mentally ill, and you know, just give me a label and keep on with his life. Um, and that's what I expected. I, I, you know, I was, I was actually very grateful he didn't leave, mm. you know, because again, had the right to, he would take the boys and he would go to the meeting and he'd be back with them. He wouldn't go anywhere else. He'd literally go and come back, which I felt safe about. Yeah. Um, and then Jacob being Jacob, he doesn't know how to leave things alone. So I can testify to that. <laughs> he has to fix it. And I was a broken thing that he needed to understand and fix. Mm. And I am not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that that is how he viewed me because that's how you should have viewed me. Other people just give up. Mm. So he was like, my wife is broken. I need to fix her, but I need to understand where she's coming from to fix her. Yeah. Well, that ended up breaking him. <laughs> so here's where the story gets interesting. So, uh, I knew that that had happened to her. It's something that we talked about when we were dating. Yeah. But I didn't know that it was, and uh, again, most witnesses have no idea. Jehovah's Witnesses, the average rank and file witness that you meet in your day-to-day life has no idea. No, they believe they're safe. That that, that is a normal thing. Very, very prevalent thing that goes on that, you know, children are regularly abused, which is why I mentioned Pennsylvania, because currently the, well, he was the former attorney general, now he's the governor of Pennsylvania, uh, basically got dropped in his lap at the time, was a bunch of different cases of this happening in the Jehovah's Witness community. Mm. And any normal person, that's going to make them upset. Yeah, And so upon investigation they found that this is a prevailing thing and so they've done what they're supposed to do as a judicial uh, body that is protecting children and so even though he's not attorney general anymore his his successor in that role is pursuing that to this day and there have been multiple uh, convictions arrests things like that and because of that um, more people are aware and that's a good thing but here's the problem again uh, one of the hallmarks of a cult or any high control group, and it doesn't have to be religious, is the idea of, uh, it, there's an author who was in a cult, uh, his name is Stephen Hassan. Uh, if you've never read his book, but you're interested in high control groups, I recommend reading it. It's called Combating Cult Mind Control. Yeah, send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Definitely. Uh, and it's one of the things that helped me at this time, but uh, he has a model for identifying high control groups. And again, he doesn't restrict it strictly to religious and church hurt, but mm-hmm. it's prevailing in those areas. But that's one of the biggest mm-hmm. markers of a cult. Mm-hmm. It's not your theology. Mm-hmm. It's control. Right. It's manipulation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so he has what's called the BITE model. And the BITE model is an acronym, B-I-T-E, and it stands for behavioral control, information control, thought control, emotional control. Mm. When you have three out of... However many, usually you're in a high control area. There can be one or two here and there, 
That's yeah. that's kind of to be expected when you get into an organization of any kind. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting into three or more, that's when you need to really have your, you know, your feelers out and try to figure out what's yeah. going on. Behavioral control, control mm-hmm. of information, mm-hmm. control of how you think, mm-hmm. and then emotional control. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, most witnesses don't know that this is something that's going on. They don't know about the, the, the doctrinal issues. They don't know about the church hurt. They don't know about the sexual issues because the information control aspect of it is keeping them in the dark. Yeah, they don't let that information out. That'll make you look bad. We've already covered behavioral control as to how your life is set up. We've covered thought control as to how you're made to perceive yourself. Mm-hmm. The emotional control of how you're made to feel based on your behavior and your thoughts. You're made to feel a certain way about not only yourself, but your fellow members of the congregation and even those in the wider world. Well, if you're taking a mm-hmm. kid mm-hmm. who says, hey, someone hurt me, someone abused me, mm-hmm. you put them in a room and you basically say, hey, do you have witnesses mm-hmm. to something you know they're not going to have witnesses to? Mm-hmm. You don't really do an investigation, and then their parents know if we try to do it, we have no other recompense, no other option within the church. Our only option would be going to the authorities, and if we do that, we lose our purpose. Mm-hmm. We lose our identity. We lose our community. We lose our family. We lose God mm-hmm. because God won't be happy with us. We won't end up in paradise. So, yeah, then everybody's quiet about abuse, Mm -hmm. which is my issue with the evangelical church. Cause our listeners know I love the church. I don't hate the church. The reason why we're doing this church disrupted Mm -hmm. is to disrupt the manipulation, the abuse, the hiding of abuses, Mm -hmm. because when you hide abuses, they grow. When you hide abuses, they multiply. Right. And anytime we're worried about any sort of church or religious environment, especially how people view us, if we're hiding the abuse of God's kids mm-hmm. to protect the image of Jesus because of our organization, then we've missed what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. Right. right. And so that's where this leads us. So again, I knew what my wife was telling me was true. I knew that that happened to her, but I thought it was an isolated case. Happens everywhere. Because you hadn't had any experience with anything None. like this. I had a friend who I found out later had been abused. But I didn't find that out until later because, again, you be quiet, don't talk about it. Because if you do, you're bringing reproach onto the name of God. Oh, yeah, I heard that one a lot. Hey, Jeff, you, uh, you broke open that churches are using NDAs and severances to keep people quiet mm-hmm. about why they left, what's going on. And, uh, man, I had in my inbox full mm-hmm. You're bringing reproach on the name of Jesus. You're causing people mm-hmm. uh, to not come to know Jesus. Basically, there's going to be going to be people in hell. You're because, making people stumble. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm making people stumble. Mm-hmm. There's going to be people in hell, Jeff, because you told the truth. Anytime telling the truth becomes the sin, mm-hmm. we've got really big problems that have been allowed to fester. Yeah. Right. And again, Jehovah's Witnesses invented that, and I can say that confidently because. That is what has been taught for generations long before me and probably be taught long after me. Control of information. Evangelical groups are just now getting on to this because, again, if you look at the Jehovah's Witnesses from a, from a financial perspective, if you look at them and you measure their success based on financial gains, 
you're talking about a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation mm. that pays little or nothing in the way of uh, payroll is tax-free and is able to have near omnipresent control of mm -hmm. all of its employees. So let's talk about, you know, uh, making a lot of money, mm. very little overhead. Mm. I can tell you of a lot of big, quote-unquote, successful churches on all the top lists who have started colleges and education programs not because they just want to develop the next generation, not because they want to develop these pastors, but because if we have a college, we'll get interns who are doing the ministry for free mm. or no cost, and then we can do a lot more because our payroll's lower. Right. I've heard it. I've been a part of those planning meetings because it's, hey, we can't get enough out of these volunteers who are already here multiple days a week, so now we got to start a college so that we can exploit these college students. They'll walk away with a degree that has zero accreditation or doesn't affect anything else they would do outside of the church. Mm -hmm. So then we don't have to pay them, but then we control you because if you try to work anywhere else, you really don't have any other options. Yeah. So I, I never even thought about these problems being systemic. Never, ever, mm -hmm. ever. Until one day, funniest place, out in field service, mm. knocking on somebody's door with my kids in tow lady who was going to close the door in my face but she saw my children she says are those your boys i say yes ma'am she says would you like to come inside i say yeah thinking oh yeah this person's interested in what i have to say i must have got to her she says can i show you something and she's like, I don't mean anything by it, but you have yeah. beautiful children. Can I show you something? And this is, I want to say, about 20, maybe end of 2014, beginning of 2015. Mm. And she pulls out uh, her computer. And she shows me a video. Mm. And it's a video in Australia. Um. It's obviously a video of some sort of court proceeding. And it's uh, what is called the Australian, uh, what is it? Royal Commission. Australian Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse. Mm -hmm. And that was a commission looking into um, basically Frank Houston, who is the dad of Brian Houston, mm -hmm. right? And the, the cover-ups happened within the Assemblies of God with child sexual abuse, Right, Brian Houston, for those mm -hmm. that don't know, was the lead pastor and the founder of Hillsong, mm -hmm. which if you're in the evangelical movement, everybody knows Hillsong. Everybody's singing Hillsong's worship. There was recently a documentary that came out, um, The Secrets of Hillsong, mm -hmm. that dove into it. Well, now fast forward, we found out that it looks like Brian Houston also knew about the sexual abuse and was hiding it. And it's taken years mm -hmm. up until it became public for him to be removed from Hillsong, this bastion of Christianity mm -hmm. in the world. So you got all these small churches trying to be just like the big successful church when what the big successful church is doing is they've got a trail mm -hmm. of broken bodies and abused people behind them. Mm -hmm. Well, what made this very interesting was that this Royal Commission wasn't meant to necessarily spotlight faith-based organizations. They were spotlighting any organization that dealt 
with children that had an issue with child sexual abuse. So the, the whole idea was, hey, we're going to bring you guys in. We're going to talk to you about what policies you have, what's not working. You're going to tell us about what you're going to do to rectify the situation. You know, you may end up having to pay some of the victims. We'll, yeah. we'll figure that out on a, on a national level. You guys go about your business. Not the Jehovah's Witnesses. No, no, no. So, you know, we you have organizations like the Boy Scouts, the, you know, the, the Catholic Church, all these different Hillsong, all these different organizations that say, okay, well, this is what we, this is what has happened. This is what we're going to do about it. You know, thank you for the time. Have a nice day. Jehovah's Witnesses. No, no. They didn't even play along. Oh, no. You see, along. according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, it. because they view pedophilia as a sin and not a crime they felt that they did nothing wrong so they have a prosecutor from from uh south africa of all places the man was a monster who unbeknownst to them was very very well versed his name's angus stewart very well versed and he's asking some very interesting questions of church elders and very impressive the Witness elders are taught to basically lie to any type of governmental organization. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're brought in before any type of oversight, they are to lie. We lie, even though that's mm-hmm. a sin. Right. But we're lying to the worldly people to exactly. protect the image of Jesus. Exactly. Right. So they didn't expect somebody to not only know the policies, but have a copy of the elder handbook ready to go mm. just in case. So this man is asking very pointed questions, and I'm watching this as a person knowing that I'm not supposed to be watching this. This is the video that this woman is showing you. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, uh, when we talk about information control, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses anything against the witnesses on YouTube. As soon as you hear their name mentioned, and yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely, and especially not from ex-church members who are called in the Jehovah's Witness religion apostates. Mm. Yeah, that's what I feel like sometimes. Mm. Yeah, you're not allowed to hear anything that Jeff's talking about because mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. an apostate. You know, yeah, obviously yeah. he's an apostate. Obviously he's the spawn of Satan. Right. So I'm feeling very anxious, very uncomfortable. But for some reason, I can't stop listening to what is happening. You're a curious person who really cares about the truth. Right. So I couldn't imagine you being able to walk away regardless of what you were feeling. Right. So I'm watching this. But the anxiety is still there. I mean, it's it's a yeah, it's palpable. It's sure. <laughs> just anxiety. And I'm seeing these elders squirm in They're response to these questions, questions, of which I would have had an answer to. But because of the way that these questions were being asked, these elders had to lie and lie clumsily, hmm. and so it gets this. This lasted. I want to say nine days. So what was supposed to be an in and out last nine days to the point where they have to bring a governing body member. So for you that are not versed in the Jehovah's Witnesses, the governing body are the essentially think about like having seven popes. They control all doctrine. Yeah. They are what is called the guardians of doctrine, which is interesting because the acronym is God. Hmm. Mm. So that seems dangerous, doesn't it? A little bit. So they call a, they subpoena a member of the governing body who happened to be 
And the only reason they were able to subpoena this person, because most of the governing body are uh, Americans. Mm -hmm. But this particular individual is an Australian citizen. And so they... I'm surprised they didn't make him move when the Royal Commission started. Mm. So, no, they could get him from wherever he was, because, again, he still has Australian citizenship. Mm -hmm. So they subpoena him, so he has to appear. Now, he appears via Zoom or whatever. Yeah. And so they ask him the questions. And when I say that this man lied, I mean to anybody that's been a Jehovah's Witness longer than two seconds, you hear him lying. Hmm. You hear him saying things that are against church doctrine, church policy. And I'm just sitting there dumbfounded. Because that's the, not what you expected when you knocked on that lady's door. Well, because I, I didn't watch the whole thing with the lady. I no, watched. We went home I watched it. the piece that she showed me, and I thanked her for her hospitality. And I was silent the whole way home with my kids. And I just he got home. I came home and I watched every single day of this and, and poured over it. I and, was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, I poured over she it. I like, prayed over it. I researched what they were talking about. Mm. And I realized that I can't be a part of this. This isn't what my family sacrificed for. This isn't what we gave up opportunities for. This isn't what my father was dragged over the coals for. Mm. This is a corporation masquerading as a religion in order to take advantage of people that just want to love Jesus and, and preach his word. Yeah. That's what this is. That's the key word. People at the top wanting to take advantage of everybody else. There are probably, my guess is there are a ton of good people in the witnesses, mm -hmm. but they're being taken advantage of. Right. They're being manipulated. Most churches today are full of good people who love Jesus but it's so it becomes such a part of their identity that even when they figure out maybe I've been manipulated, maybe I'm being taken advantage of, you don't really feel like there's anything else you can do. The loss is so great that you almost just turn a blind eye to the things that are going on. It's like, you know, you've been in there so long that you can't you have that moment where it's like it can't be for nothing. Yeah. It can't it cannot be for nothing. I cannot have wasted fifteen, fifty years of my life. I think that's the key wasted mm -hmm. because you know, I spent 17 years as a local church pastor. And there are a lot of times where I've asked that question. Did I waste that time? Mm -hmm. Did I waste a big part of my life? Did I waste thousands upon thousands of dollars in school getting trained? And what I've come to is I didn't waste that part of my life. God didn't waste that part of my life, but there's a better way and I have to build on a better way. I have to do a different way of ministry going forward for it to matter. Yeah, but that is, that has been an almost existential crisis of sorts. Mm -hmm. Asking that question, did I waste my life? That was 17 years. I couldn't imagine doing that over 40, 45, 50. Um, it, and, it's not done. I, I, it's very, very rarely can someone actually come out of that alive. And, and, and it's like you said, see, you found a way to do it because you, you found a way to repurpose your skill. You're repurposing what you've learned. It is very hard to repurpose what yeah. we learned. 
Well, I mean, it's it's been hard enough for me, and I didn't go through anything like you guys did because the majority of my Christian experience has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The majority of my faith experience has been phenomenal, and the little bit that I saw that wasn't what I thought it was made me fly off the handle, not because I'm mad or trying to, to tear the church down, but because I can't stand to watch people be hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a protector by nature. That's who I am. Um, but the loss we've taken, like, you know, Candace, my wife and I, even something as simple as me doing this podcast was a danger. We knew we were going to lose things. I've lost business. I've lost money. Um, there are friends who I thought were dear friends. I've lost those relationships entirely mm-hmm. because we speak out, because we do church disrupted, because of that. But for me, it was worth it because we, everybody draws the line somewhere. You know, some of them it's sexual abuse. Some of them it's murder. Some of them it's the pastor having an affair. I drew my line at widespread emotional abuse Mm. in the Christian system, at Mm. widespread spiritual abuse. I would rather draw that line a little too early because I care about protecting people than wait until it becomes sexual abuse. Mm. But there are plenty of people who are taking their life and committing suicide because they were spiritually abused in the dark and couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So when people are taking their lives over it, it's important enough to talk about right. because every life matters and every life is precious. And I can't believe that. And then I take up for people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I mean, it, it, even us, I mean, we've been out since how long? Since we were eight years now. Yeah, so, I mean, it's taken us eight years. This is the first time we've actually publicly spoken about it. Hmm. Um, well, can I just thank you, hmm. like, for your bravery and for your vulnerability? Like, hmm. it's been incredible. Um, I mean, this was hard to hear at times. I can't imagine how hard it was to talk about. Hmm. But I think it's going to be so helpful for people who are right in the middle of their pain right now. Yeah. you aren't in the middle of your pain right now. For people hmm. who are in the middle of their pain, you're listening you're watching and you're saying, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I'll ever have a community again. I don't know if I'll ever be happy again, find joy again. These two are a great example that you can. You will find joy. It can get better. It's not the end of the world. It is worth walking away. It is worth walking in your convictions, even though it may not feel that way at all now. So I just want you to know if you're going through incredible church hurt, if you feel like you've lost your family and your community when you left the church, I want you to know we love you. We are Not here alone. for you. And it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. But right now it may not feel that way. And we want to walk with you through it. Absolutely. Definitely. It, it it's gonna it's gonna be bad. It's gonna you're gonna feel lost. Hmm. Um and that loss can be very confusing because when you grow up in a high control environment, you you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. You don't have a, you're not a person. <laughs> you're not complete. Mm. There is, there is a hole there and we understand that hole. Mm. Um, and then there's some people who just fly off the handles trying to fill that hole and it, and it's, and it's hard. And the first thing you're going to want to do is come back, go back because it's easy because it's what you know. It's familiar. It's comfortable. And, and, and that's what abuse victims do. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, they they go back. But there's only so many times you can go back before you lose your life. Mm-hmm. And and I not mean literally, it could be figuratively, lose your life. You have you have the right to find out who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you well, and you guys have heard from this conversation. You've heard about Sarai saying, I didn't feel like I had worth. I didn't feel like I had a purpose. You, you heard Jacob talk about, I wasn't allowed to have opportunities. Opportunities don't come for people like me. Um, and, and for some of you, that's not been your experience at all. But for those of you that are listening and watching and that's been your experience, can I just stop and can we tell you right now, you have a purpose. You have value. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your background is. You have God-given opportunities, and God has always ascribed more value on people when they've come in contact with Him than anything else. So if your experience with the church, you're not leaving with more value rather than less, that's a church you need to get out of. That's a church you need to walk away from because every person who ever experienced Jesus walked away with more value, not less, after that interaction. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, I understand how scary it is to talk about it. I mean, it, it's terrifying. And like I said, it's taken us eight years. And now that we have spoken about it, if some the wrong person listens to this, we'll probably get a letter in the mail saying, don't bother coming back. You're never welcome again. Yeah. And we've reached the point where we're okay with that. Yeah. Well, I got that. I got that from a group of elders from the church that I served at, worked at, my family went to, mm-hmm. my wife worked at. Um, we got that. Yeah, your time at this church is over. Um, you know, she got escorted out with two grown men carrying her boxes out like she was going to do something to hurt them simply because she didn't sign an NDA and was telling the truth. Right. We've you know, we've been completely I'm you know, I, I said this in front of the elders. I said, you know, it's really hard to you know, we're talking about witnesses and everything else. I said, I know that if I go because I had people pushing back on me saying, Jeff, why'd you go public about this? Why'd you go public about this? Why didn't you just bring it to the church? Well, Going public was the only way I could bring it to the church because if I went to the church, I would get arrested. And because of the way they've treated us, I firmly believe that and shared that with the elders. Right. So, you know, getting that letter, being told you're not welcome back, like that's par for the course in an abusive situation. And that's what makes that's another thing that makes it so hard. Well, going public is also a protection, not just for you, but I mean, for those who, you know, are going through it. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. that is part of your protector way of being is yeah. that you you let them know what they're in for. And if this is how you feel like you're being treated, then it's okay to find your worth and say, I am worth better than this. I am better than this. And you don't get to treat me this way just because you have God's name behind you. You, you don't get to treat me as I'm not a person because you're using... God or Jesus or whatever you want to call him at your back. Because if you, and, and that's coming from people who actually read the Bible almost yearly. Yeah. Well, if you were using God as an excuse to mistreat people, mm. then you don't know him and you need to stop using his name. Mm. You need to get my God's name out of your mouth. If you're using God's name as an excuse to mistreat people, because God never mistreats people. And man, I'm so over that. Mm-hmm. I am so that's why we're doing this. The majority of churches and pastors are incredible, but there's a group of successful bullies who are walking around misrepresenting God and using God in the Bible as a reason, mm-hmm. as a justification for, for hurting people. Yep. And there is no way you can justify mistreating God's people, the people that he died for in his name. Right. So for you guys, I, I you know, we, this conversation, we could keep it going. You're going to be on the podcast a lot. We're going to hear more from your mm-hmm. story. Actually, 
our next conversation, one of our next conversations, we need to just talk about when does the church become a cult, yep. right? Because there are a lot of cult-like tendencies in the modern-day American church, right? I'm not saying every church is a cult, right. but I'm saying we're flirting with it. We're oh, flirting absolutely. with stuff. And there's a reason why people are leaving. The church wants to say people are leaving because this generation, they're just they're, they're apostates. They don't love God. They don't know God. What, what's happening to our country? Well, a lot of the reason why they're leaving is because they're watching what you do, and it's starting to look, feel, and sound like a cult, right? right. So especially for pastors who are listening, who want to pastor a life-giving church, for people who are wondering... Is what my church is doing, is, is that okay? Is that a good church? Is it cultish? We need to have a conversation um, soon about what it looks like when, when a church becomes a cult. What does that look like? Red flags people can look for. But I really want to leave with, with this. And just as we're kind of finishing this conversation, wrapping it up, you got really two types of people who are listening to this who have resonated deeply. Okay, there's a lot of other people who are listening, but you got the group that is saying, I think it may be time to leave my church but I'm absolutely terrified. Mm. I'm terrified of what I'll lose. I'm terrified of who I'll be if I leave. And then, so they're wondering, do I leave? Because I know that's the right thing to do. This is unhealthy. Or do I stay? Because it's all I know. And then you got another group. They've left and they feel like they've lost everything. They feel completely alone. And they're wondering, should I go back? Can I go back? Now they're even being gaslit into thinking maybe I was the problem mm-hmm. because they're completely alone. So for those those two groups of people, maybe you want to speak to just one, maybe you want to speak to both, but what would you tell the person who's thinking about leaving but is terrified? And what would you want to say to the person who feels absolutely alone and gutted because they left? Hmm. So if you're thinking about leaving and you're afraid, it's okay. It's natural. I would tell you that don't make any decisions rashly. Don't don't jump into it. Don't don't let your righteous indignation determine how you move and at the speed you move. Because if you're in a high control environment, what you need to do is you need to strategize. You need to plan. Hmm. Because when you leave you will leave naked. So you need to cultivate a new network of friends. You need to cultivate a family around you. And you need to prepare, if you have family, if you have an immediate family, you need to prepare them for what comes next. If you think that you have reservations about a group that you're in, you know that the group that you're in is not fitting within your moral framework but you want to know if you can go back. This is going to sound as corny as possible. And to an extent it's meant to. But if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, I recommend that you watch it. It's a silly movie, but there's a very poignant part in The Matrix. And there's a character, his name is Cypher, and he is very serious about betraying his morals and getting back into the Matrix. And his idea is that if they just wipe all of his memories, if they just take everything that he knows away, he can go back. It wasn't possible for him, and it's not going to be possible for you. Yeah. Because no matter what happens, 
you know what has happened. And you're not going to be able to put that in the back of your mind because if you were, you would have already done it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're insane like me and you decide to jump in head first and you lose your parents, your siblings, your cousins, your uncles, your entire support system. And that's real. You lost your core nuclear family. Yep. All of them. You ran the risk of losing your children and Jacob. I did. Um, and it, is, it was very possible that if my husband would have left me indoctrinated my children, they would have speak, wouldn't have spoken to me either. Mm. The thing is that, like my mother, I was very bullheadedly brave. Um, I don't really think about it the way that Jacob does. He plans. I just kind of do stuff. And um, when I know something wasn't right, and it didn't feel right, and then it didn't look right, and, you know, I just left. And like my uncle told me the last time I saw him, if you're not going to be my God's friend, then we cannot be family. And I took that as, well, if my family's love is going to be conditional, then I don't want it. Because there is a plethora of people out there that will give you the unconditional love that you deserve as a human being mm. and that will allow you to grow as a person and find who you are. And, and that's what Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus looks like. That's what the church looks like when it's at its best. I will believe you <laughs> because it's not my experience. However, that doesn't mean that my experience is everybody else's. I'm just saying that if you did lose everything and everyone. And I and I was lucky. I I didn't lose everyone. I could have been completely alone. Hmm. And completely honest, I don't know if I would have made that. I I don't know if I would have made it because I would have been entirely alone in a place where I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Um and that's one of the reasons why we fight. That's one of the reasons why we do this because I don't want to see another person take their life because of things being swept under the rug. Jesus is a life giver. That's my experience. That's a Jesus I know. Mm-hmm. He is a life giver, not a life taker. Um, he said, I've come so that you may have life mm-hmm. and have it to the full. Um, so if your experience with the church is not experiencing life to the full, um, then I want to invite you for a conversation. Even if you can't be a part of the community, DM me, let me know. I'll connect with you. If you feel alone, Um, and you can't be a part of the community, we'd love to have you. But if you can't DM me, I will find community members to connect with you. You are not alone. We're going to walk through this with you. Um, Because again, our life should be getting better, not worse. I mean, when when you leave something like that, you have that moment where you're just like, I don't want to deal with religion. I don't want to deal with anything. And yeah, you put God aside. You're like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not ready for you right now. I can't, I can't do this with you right now. And that, believe it or not, is okay. Yeah. That is okay. Trust me. Because yeah. um, unlike you, the church, Jesus will always take you back. Yeah. If you've left the church, you're struggling to go to the church, you're struggling with religion, you're not sure if you even believe in Jesus anymore, this right. is still a safe place for you. Yes. I am not, we are not, none of us, even though most of our, our host community are believers still going to church still, we're not going to try to talk you into going to church before you're ready because Jesus wouldn't talk you into going to church before you're ready. Right. He'll walk at your pace. He'll meet you where you're at mm-hmm. because I believe he loves you. 
And even if you don't believe that, I, I can't believe in him and believe that and do anything different. So if you are a total deconstructionist, you haven't rebuilt anything, or you decided, hey, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, I'm not ready, whatever, you are safe here. The only thing we'd ask, and, and of course, I'm going to talk about this on a later podcast, but we always just ask that you don't deconstruct and leave rubble in your life, but you reconstruct something. Mm-hmm. We want to help you reconstruct something because I believe your life doesn't have to exist in the shambles and shadows of what was, in the shambles and shadows of your pain. Your life can be something incredible, mm-hmm. but we have to build something back. And you guys have built an incredible life, incredible family. Um, so thank you so much for today. Thank you for speaking directly to people who are going through these things. And um, oddly enough, uh, you know, Jacob, you and I met through business networking opportunities. Um, but the first time I sat down and talked with both of you, it was because Jacob was fixing my son's phone right before I went to preach at a youth camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, we probably had an hour and a half, two hour, like theological deep life conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't drive us apart mm-hmm. at all. It actually started um, really a beautiful friendship um, because you guys are real. You're the real deal. And I'm so I told him I wasn't going to any church, period. <laughs> don't, period. Don't bring that here. I am not doing it. And and he was the first person, because I was honestly expecting him to go clutch his pearls and be like, oh. Yeah, I don't have any he, pearls. He, he did not have pearls. And he did not care. And that was refreshing and appreciated. Because he somehow understood that it was coming from pain. And then I just really couldn't do it. I can accept that you talk about God. And I hear you. But at the time, I couldn't. I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't accept it. I could not be part of it mm-hmm. because it was painful. You didn't need to be invited to church. You needed to be seen by someone who represented God. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So hey, wherever you're at, we're here with you. Wherever you're at, this is a safe place. And I know, man, this was a heavy episode. Thank you guys again <laughs> for your no vulnerability. Problem. Thank you for your authenticity. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of you guys listening right now, you're going through things like this. You're going through layers of this. You're not alone. We're walking with you. There will be better days ahead. But hey, take take one thing from this. Even after incredible pain, mm. we have laughed all the way oh, yeah. through this podcast, right? You eventually so, will be stronger than, than, than what you think you are. You are stronger than you think you are. Yep. So take that next step. Whatever it is for you, finding a healthy church, find a life-giving church. If you need to leave a toxic situation, um, whatever you need, we're here for you. Um, If you need us, reach out. And again, if you haven't joined the Church Disrupted community, we want you to be a part of it. It is a bunch of like-minded people like this where you're free to talk about anything through what you're going through. No one's going to try to make you come back to church or before you're ready or if you're never ready. We want to help you heal. So if you're looking for some people that you can heal with, that you can be real with, this is the place. Uh, But we love you guys, and we'll see you on the next episode. See you.